Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're small, (laughs) I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. I was kind of torn. I like. I felt almost obligated to do that quote because that is probably the most like classic quote from this movie, right? You know, I was going to do it, but you jumped on it so quick, I didn't even have the chance. <laughs> I'm sure we're both going to say that many times throughout this. But <laughs> I, I mean, like, that's the quote I remembered. I did – I was tempted to say another one because I – I didn't remember it. It's a very like offhanded line, but that in that scene when Danny DeVito is like going to take the son to work, when he comes out of the bathroom after his hair's messed up, he says something like, "Today's the day we diddle the customer." And I'm like, "Diddle the customer?" That's strange. <laughs> so I was very tempted to say, "And today we diddle the customer." Okay, my boy, heir to the throne. Today we diddle the customer. You could probably say any Danny DeVito line from that movie and it would have worked. Are you being smart with me? $5,000? I'm not paying that. What are they going to do? Repossess the kid? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. You can – the audience can tell how excited we are to discuss this movie because continuing on with the Danny DeVito direct series, we've gotten to – I would imagine his most well-known movie, his most well-liked movie, Matilda. So should we get it out of the way now, Justin? This is for Matilda, and she needs you. (laughs) That song has been so stuck in my head ever since you mentioned we were going to do Matilda. And then I got it stuck in Heather's head just because I'm sadistic like that. Did you have it on repeat while you were watching the movie? And you, were just like, you had to keep – you were like both the TV and the speakers were at max volume and they were just competing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was having an Under the Silver Lake moment where I was trying to find connections between the song on repeat and the actual movie. Some trapped in the closet type shit. Every time he drops This Is From Matilda, Danny DeVito says something insane. <laughs> If I play the movie backwards, it lines up with the song perfectly. <laughs> oh, God. So, yes, we are we are very excited to talk about Matilda. But we have some things to discuss before that. And there's actually a good bit here, which I'm I'm also very excited about, which I've, I have notes on. But, okay, so here's... put on your seatbelts and grab some popcorn, yeah. folks. We're getting into it. Buckle up, motherfuckers. So I think I want to start with... Uh, we we have we have to earn our ad revenue, Justin. Can you handle that? I think this is the first time that you've been on here where we have to we have to do some ad oh, revenue. Oh, oh I, I got a BRB. <laughs> no, I'll be right back. I think it's I think it's something that you will appreciate because okay, it all right, should, it should be out by the time this releases. It should be out. It's going to be in the, a link to it's going to be in the show notes. Everybody <laughs> should go listen to the new. Immortal Lansbury album. The new Immortal Lansberries. Yes. <sighs> so, are, 
you, okay. I was about to ask, are you doing like the crowd cheering or are you hyperventilating? <laughs> it must be my mic. <sighs> it's that better. So, yes, uh, this is uh, the where we are announcing it first, I believe. I think there's a another podcast I was on promoting it that's coming out the same day as this. But whether you're listening to it on the Monday that this releases, July 20th, or you're listening to it in the future, definitely go check out the new Immortal Lansbury's album. It is called Lit, L-I-T, because it's going to be lit, son! No, it's actually <laughs> called Lit as in the past tense of light. But it is also lit. And I think even though Justin... You've been listening to too much Pusha T. (laughs) And I think even though Justin hasn't heard all of it, he's heard the singles, that he can attest that it will be lit. Is that correct? Yes. How many singles have I heard? Uh, I don't even know what is going to be and what isn't on the album. (laughs) But you know what? What I heard was pretty lit. I'll tell you that. Perfect. Perfect. So that's our ad revenue for this week. Uh, they they support us. They are advertisers. They pay us to advertise. Uh, I am in no way related. I have no bias to the Immortal Lansberries. Justin can confirm uh, that. Uh, he knows. He Rob knows actually doesn't like them, believe it or not. <laughs> He's like, I have to promote them because they pay me, but I don't really like them. God, that's, their singer is so pretentious. His fucking podcast is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> No, all kidding aside, definitely check them out. I think for the next few weeks, our audience will be hearing me talk about uh, that new album for sure to promote it because they are very excited about it. All right, with our ad revenue out of the way, the next thing we always have to talk about is, well, where is Zach once again? And of course, he is hard at work at the restaurant. Once again, just like last week, he's working on two things in tandem. One of them is that he is trying to explain to our customers and to the health inspectors that the dishes we have that features what looks like human babies are actually made from replicant babies. So they're not real humans, so it's okay. So everybody out there, if you go to the restaurant and you get, like, you know, the the baby dishes, it's not human babies, it's replicant babies, and replicants are a lower form of life. They're not even a form of life, so it's okay to eat them. Like, calm down, everybody. Can you handle that, Justin? Uh, I'm going to leave this one to Maximo. My <laughs> lawyer that. told me not to comment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was informed not to comment while litigation is pending. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yes, I'm glad you also men- mentioned Maximo because that is the second thing Zach is working on at the restaurant. He has been working with Maximo on this current litigation. And I mentioned this last week. But the litigation was going on, and we didn't have enough information to, uh, to report back for Maximo. But this week we do. And I'm glad to have Justin on for this episode because he is familiar with what Maximo does for the restaurant. So we're going to save that for our snacks and our restaurant portion of the episode, though. So everybody hold on till then. We're going to have some updates from the legal side of Cinemodities. <laughs> I know that's what everybody listens for. You could just what skip like what, two hours ahead, skip the whole Matilda discussion. <laughs> We've got the, the best lawyers. Who doesn't want to hear about that? Exactly. All right. Now, with those two things out of the way, we can get more into the meat of this series. Of course, our audience knows, with this being the third episode, and Justin knows, this is our Danny DeVito direct series in which we're discussing the filmography of Danny DeVito. 
Hell yeah. We know that we're talking about Matilda today. We're going to have to go through some history between his last movie and Matilda. But before we do that, like I've been asking everybody who's been on this month, Justin, what's your history with Danny DeVito? What, do you love him? Do you hate him? Have you never heard of him until it's always sunny in Philadelphia? Enlighten us. Wait, who's Danny DeVito? <laughs> he's he's the one who plays Matilda in this movie. He's the little girl. Oh, well, excellent performance. I could not believe he was actually able to move stuff with his mind in this movie. <laughs> I was told there was no CGI. Incredible. They actually threw those kids. <gasps> no, but on the real, Danny DeVito... I've always been a fan of Danny DeVito and everything I've seen him in. I mean, come on. Man did Twins. It's Always Sunny. I've been a fan of Matilda since I first saw it. I love the guy. He's never done anything I don't like, as a matter of fact, unlike some other people on this podcast. <laughs> do, you, do you think Matilda was how you first found out about him? You know, that's a really good question. And I was so young. I, I feel like... There was never a point in my life where I didn't know Danny DeVito. Yeah, that I was trying to think of that. I know at the start of the series, uh, for Throw Mom from the Train, Heather and I were trying to be like, you know, how did we learn about Danny DeVito? We couldn't yeah. remember exactly. I think Heather said the exact same thing, and I agree with you. Danny DeVito has just been a fixture in my life forever. <laughs> right? I, I kind of I, – my guess is that Matilda would have been my first interaction with him or first, um, you know, reveal of him. But like we you said, it's so long ago that yeah. there, there's no way I would ever be able to, to like actually pinpoint that. Like I might have had twins dropped on me when I was young, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What else was he in that I might have seen? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I think we were discussing that at Wait, the start of this. He directed like, Space Jam? He did – I'm pretty sure he did or, not direct Space He did not direct it, he was it, the but voice he started of the, um, of the big mean alien. Oh, the, um, okay, Like yeah, the head so of the Monstars. Remember the Monstars? Oh, yeah, the guy with the cigar. Yes, yes. I, I don't the remember cigars, his name. It was like Mr. Yeah. Swackhammer or Slackjacker or something like that, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was the voice in that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, this, you know, this might have been it. This, there's, oh. a, there's a good chance that okay, this, okay. this was the first time i've seen danny but it's i don't know i don't know man good good so we have a for our third week in a row we have someone on here who is we're all in agreement. we all love danny devito <laughs> how can yes. you not it's got to be such a minute like my a very very small minority that doesn't like danny devito and I'd, yep. I'd be tempted to say it's not that they don't like danny devito they just might be neutral towards him <laughs> right okay so you got a little bit into it with Space Jam, and I think you might have even jumped the gun a little bit, because I think Space Jam was after Matilda. But uh -oh. we have to yeah. talk about what we're continuing our history of Danny DeVito, because in uh, 1989, that's when War of the Roses came out, and then we have to go all the way to 1996 for Matilda. So I was actually surprised to find that between these two movies, uh, or I should say, you know, after the War of the Roses, where we'll start there, he only has a few movie roles but he is kind of a a leading actor where you know he's the lead in the movie other people's money and probably way more well known he plays the penguin in batman returns which is tim burton's second batman movie and i think his performance went over like gangbusters it's a very strange performance but it is it is awesome just to see danny devito you know as the Penguin, because when you look at Danny DeVito, you kind of see the Penguin, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
And even though he's firmly in the movie zone, and also, of course, in this time frame, he uh, founds the production company in 1991, Jersey Films, where he goes on to produce, which goes on to produce things like Pulp Fiction in 1994, of course. So Wait, no way. Yes, his production company produced Pulp Fiction, and Danny DeVito is also an executive producer on Pulp Fiction. What a legend, Exactly, man. right? <laughs> Damn. He's been doing everything, and I, I just a testament as to why we know him and why we love him, of course. So even though he's in the movie zone as an actor, as a director, as a, a producer, he does do some TV work, specifically in 1991 and 1992, he does the voice for Herb Powell in The Simpsons. Do you know who Herb Powell is in the context of The Simpsons, Justin? Is he that kid's dad? No. Uh, there's a lot of kids in The Simpsons, but he's not a kid's dad, I'm pretty sure. He is Homer Simpson's brother. Technically half. Oh. So in the first episode he's in, uh, he hires Homer to be part of his car company. And that I think that's a very famous episode where Homer like designs the car of the future and it bankrupts his brother's car company, so it becomes homeless <laughs> at the end of that episode. <laughs> but in the in the return in 1992, he invents a machine that translates baby speak into plain English. So that actually exists in the Simpsons canon that there is a machine invented by Homer Simpson's half brother, played by Danny DeVito, that a baby can talk into and it will translate what the baby means. I dig it. I'm all about it. <laughs> Justin's like, I never expected to hear these things. <laughs> it I could totally see it in The Simpsons. Yes. I haven't seen a lot of Simpsons, but it's it's a great show. So, yes, Danny DeVito, that was uh, is the the voice acting thing I wanted to get out there. And I've seen – I think I've seen both of those episodes, and you, you can't mistake them. Like, it clearly is Danny DeVito, you know, as that voice, and it's just uh, great to hear. And it, since he's Homer's brother, he looks kind of like Homer, so it's interesting. <laughs> but, of course, this is, this is what I'm, I'm very excited to talk about. Between The War of the Roses and Matilda, he directed another movie that came out in 1992, actually came out on Christmas of 1992, just called Hoffa. And it is a biopic about Jimmy Hoffa. Do you have any knowledge of who Jimmy Hoffa is, Justin? Well, you know, I was hiking the other day and somebody mentioned this movie Hoffa. That's about the extent to it. (laughs) That person was me, uh, Justin uh, I was talking about Hoffa too much, so he picked up a sledgehammer and hit me in the knee with it. It was great. Uh, <laughs> so, so yes, uh, whenever we do directors on Cinemodities, and I say whenever very loosely because this is the second time we're doing it, I like to go through their entire filmography, whether or not we dedicate episodes to all of them. And, of course, with you know seven Danny DeVito movies and we only have four episodes, I still watch them all. And I had to watch Hoffa between The War of the Roses and Matilda. I had never seen Hoffa before. I actually had some knowledge about who Jimmy Hoffa was, but I gained it from the movie Bruce Almighty. Did you ever see that? Oh, I love Bruce Almighty. Yes. There's there's a scene in Bruce Almighty where, you know, like after he gets the God powers, I think he's trying to get back into like the good graces of his job, of his employers, and he works as a news anchor. So he uses his God powers to find Jimmy Hoffa's body for a news story. The body of Jimmy Hoffa was uncovered in a field today outside of a canine training center in Buffalo, New York. Bruce Nolan was the first on the scene. Thank you, Jane. 
As you can see behind us, the body is being carefully exhumed and will be transported to a medical facility where DNA testing can confirm the identity. That, however, merely a formality at this point, as in a bizarre twist, the body was found buried with a birth certificate and complete set of dental records. And that, like, gets him to be, like, the like the the best, you know, news journalist or news anchor in the world. Because, to this day, no one has ever found Jimmy Hoffa's body. Of course, he went missing way back when, and he was declared dead after a while. But, like, that became, like, a, a myth or a, a folk legend that it would be like, who's going to ever find Jimmy Hoffa's body? And Bruce mm. Almighty <laughs> made it into a joke. And that's where I learned about it as a kid. And I remember watching and Bruce you, Almighty. And you picked that shit up. Yeah, because I remember watching Bruce Almighty and the movie focuses on it. Like, everybody's freaking out because he finds Jimmy Hoffa's body. And as a kid, I was like, who the fuck is Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> like, like, he found someone's body. Why does this matter? So I had to, like, learn about it. And I've just kind of tangentially known that, you know, he, he got killed likely because of his mafia connections. I think that's the story that's accepted. Oh, okay. And no one's ever found his body. So that's what uh, Hoffa, Danny DeVito's movie from 1992, is about. The guy's life. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, his rise to power in uh, in his work behind the Teamsters. So that's where he, like, did – where he got his fame from is that he was the work of the Teamsters and he brought it from, you know, the the truckers back in the day to the giant labor union that it is now. And Mm -hmm. the whole movie is kind of told through vignettes of – about Jimmy Hoffa and the different kind of struggles he went through, like from the the early stages of the labor union to when, you know, there was all the the fighting with, like, the railway unions. And then even they go into the status or the the part of his life where he was, you know, uh, testifying in front of, like, Robert Kennedy because they thought he had connections to the mafia, to communists, all that stuff. And so I I guess I should mention um, Jimmy Hoffa is played by Jack Nicholson, which I actually really liked. I thought it was a really good performance. Danny DeVito is in the movie as Bobby Charo, who apparently wasn't a real person, but an amalgamation of people in Jimmy Hoffa's life. And they're like good friends. And I was reading about this movie before we started the Danny DeVito direct series. And everything I was reading was like, this is one of his like worst two movies. Like everybody's like Hoffa and Duplex are like the low points of his career. And I still haven't seen Duplex yet, so I can't comment. But I have I had to watch Hoffa. I couldn't skip it. I I sat through it. I watched all two hours and twenty minutes. It's a very long movie, and I Ooh. have to say, I kind of really liked it. I don't know if I loved it, but there was something. About, You're about it. Yeah, there was something about it was just a straight biopic. Like it is objective. Like sure, there's like moments of tension and drama, but nothing seemed overemphasized or like really you know like very. Um, you know, kind of embellished for the sake of storytelling. Like, I was reading about it after I watched it, and apparently there's an entire scene which is just, you know, the like the Senate committee where Hoffa's under uh, giving a testimony and being questioned by Robert Kennedy be- into his, like, work in the unions and stuff. And apparently the entire scene is exactly the transcript from the committee hearing that actually occurred. Like, they didn't fuck with the dialogue. They just took the actual discussion that these two people had in real life and filmed it. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm, I'm so into that. Because I hate when biopics do this embellishment where it's like, you know, revisionist history. Right, and that's what, that's what the crowd's like. Yeah, and this movie was just very matter-of-factly. And I actually really enjoyed it, and I was surprised. So, 
we'll have to wait, or our audience will have to wait till next week after I have seen all of his movies, and I'll give my rankings of them all. But I was pleasantly surprised by Hoffa. And some things I also found out about it was that it was written by David Mamet, so a, a very famous screenwriter. Of course, he wrote, uh, I think most famously, he wrote Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which I'm just going to say right off the bat, I have not asked Justin this, but I'm confident he's never seen it. You should no, see but, it, Justin. But it's amazing. In, in Barry, they reference it quite a bit, very heavily. Oh, okay, okay. That is a great movie, and Glenn I've Gary, Barry. Glenn Ross. It's also, I've never seen the play, but I've heard it's a great play. David Mamet also wrote The Untouchables with Kevin Costner, which I really like. But he also wrote Ronin with Robert De Niro, and I don't like that movie. But David not Mamet good. is still a, a, like a, a big name. Even though I liked Hoffa, I do have to say, since we're talking about Danny DeVito as the director, some of the directing was a little pretentious and film schoolish. Like, some of the shots, I'm just like, oh, God, like, like they're groaners type of thing. There's a lot of dissolves. Like, it tries to be very arty when it shouldn't be very arty. Like, I like just the story and the directness of it a lot more. Um, mm. So definitely not Danny DeVito's best, like, directed movie, I would say. And that's going to definitely come up in the Matilda conversation, which is, um, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, might be like a masterpiece of directing, but Hoffa was not uh, anywhere near that. Uh, some other things I wanted to mention, uh, young John C. Riley is in it, like an incredibly young John C. Riley, who I think most people might know as, you know, Will Ferrell's second-in-command, so the other, the, the not Will Ferrell stepbrother in Step Brothers, um, and he's like very young in it. A young Frank Whaley is in it, I don't think Justin will know him from anywhere, other than that he's the guy who keeps saying what in Pulp Fiction. Remember that scene in Pulp Fiction where Samuel Jackson's like, say what, say what again, and they're that white dude just sitting at the table? That's Frank Whaley. With the eating. Big, with the yeah, big he's eating burger. in the yeah. diner. Not in the diner, in the, uh, in the apartment at the beginning, when they pick up the briefcase. Yeah, it's been too long. Don't they end up killing everyone in that apartment? Yes, he does. He does die in that scene. Yes, but but I love Frank Whaley. I, actually, you might remember Frank Whaley. He was the white detective in Luke Cage. If you remember Luke Cage, because I know okay, you. Yeah, I've that. just got to Google this guy, Frank Whaley. W A L E. W H A L E Y. Like the animal whale. That's a lot of letters. It's the animal whale with a Y. <laughs> Yeah, don't defend him, Rob. <laughs> no, he's he's great. I've loved Frank Whaley for a while. He's he's the patient in like my favorite episode of House uh, called Mirror Mirror from season four. Uh, I'm trying to think what else you'd, you would know him in, but he yeah, Frank Whaley's great, and he he shows up for a good bit of this movie. Um, oh, he's so young in Pulp Fiction. I've yes. definitely seen his face, but he's not very memorable. He he's great in it. Um, he's actually not surprisingly. The movie Hoffa ends with the death of Jimmy Hoffa, and do they show? Do they like theorize on how he dies? Yeah, they do. They do kind of, and they do take. Uh, it's based on like the actual the FBI's like accepted version of how he died, even though it's not. You know, since they never found the body, they can't know for sure. But they do okay. try to be as true as possible. And the the ending to Hoffa is actually like fantastic, but some of the editing really takes away from it but the the way that it ends and the way Hoffa dies is very very interesting it's a great scene um there's, there's oh he was in little monsters dude we watched oh, that about yeah. the little mon- bro we watched that like within the last year yo yeah he's he's in a good bit of stuff frank whaley's Wait, great he's the main actor in little monsters right on, right on. 
no way <laughs> yeah so yeah it's like all these actors and this was hoffa was 92 and there's all these people that show up and i'm like oh my god look at this it's great and and so it was very interesting to see uh probably my favorite scene in the movie that i have to mention was uh oh no a... he's just a boy my bad oh he's not okay there, there's a scene in hoffa where it's after the congressional hearing with uh robert kennedy and hoffa but there's like after, because after JFK becomes president, you know Robert Kennedy becomes the uh, attorney general, and he's like still looking into Jimmy Hoffa. And there's another scene where there's like a blowout between Hoffa and Robert Kennedy after JFK is president, and Hoffa has the line "fuck you" and "fuck your family." You don't impress me, and your office don't impress me, and your family don't impress me. Bunch of rum runners. And I don't need $300 million, and my brother elected president to whop your fucking ass, you slimy little prick. I beat your ass that trumped-up charge down south. I'm going to beat you again. There is no organized crime. The team's there's not going to see you else. in jail, Mr. Hoffa. For what? Jail, what did I fucking do? Hoffa, the pension fund, the pension fund has the best record in the country on loans. Oh, bullshit. Best record in the country. Bullshit. For the working man. You ever heard of work? Look, you know what I work want is? I this man in jail, and I'm not going to stop until I see Who you in the fuck eyes. are you? Who the fuck are you? Fuck you, and fuck your threats, and fuck your brother. What did you say? You heard me. What the fuck did you say? And it's so interesting to, like, one of the most beloved presidents, we have someone screaming, like, fuck, your, fuck the Kennedy family. This is very funny. <laughs> Um, there's also a great scene where Danny DeVito shoots a deer at point blank range with a pistol. <laughs> nice. It's, it's, it was, I was, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised that, uh, that I liked Hoffa as much as I did. So it's interesting to see where it's going to land in my rankings. But if you, if you like just straight to the point biopics, I would definitely recommend it, uh, for sure. But, right up there with Chernobyl. Straight to the point. Oh wonderfully done. <laughs> Chernobyl is the farthest thing straight for, to the point. <laughs> hey, don't get me started. Oh, don't God, get yeah. me started. This will, be, this will triple the length of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't even talk about Matilda. That's the lost episode. I think we said that last time you were on here. The, or every time you've been on here. It's the lost episode of Cinemodities. The, the lost tapes. <laughs> so, so, yes, Hoffa was 1992. Uh, after that... There were four more years to go until Matilda. Uh, he has some more acting roles, and he continues in film with from minor to leading. Of course, he's in Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the one where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant. He's the doctor that like gets him pregnant. I'm pretty sure. And of course, he's in Get Shorty in 1995, which I know a lot of people love. I still have never seen it. So everybody, calm down. I know people tell me I need to see Get Shorty, but I'll, I'll get to it one day. I'll get to Get Shorty one day. <laughs> And then, of course, which we already mentioned, just keeping it in, in chronological order, 1994, so after Hoffa, before Matilda, that's when he produces Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction, we could open that to a whole different discussion, the entire concept of how that changed the film industry for the rest of, the, of human history. Uh, good times. So, yeah. See, that's the – got to say, Justin, you mentioned it before. It's been so long since you've seen Pulp Fiction. That, that's my problem with you, Justin. There's so many movies you need to see, and there's so many movies you need to re rewatch. You're killing me here. Welcome to my life, bro. <laughs> Did then, you know in Little Monsters, the main actor is Ben Savage's brother, Fred Savage? Oh, Fred Savage. Right on. Yeah. Look at that. Okay, okay. So, so now, with that out of the way, we got our history. We got my Hoffa talk. Now we can get to Matilda. 
and my and I have my I have my notes on Matilda, but we have to talk about some background on Matilda. And even though we did it already, I think this is another another point because my first note is, and she needs you. This is for Matilda. Some all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even really like that song by Alt J. It's just oh my it's, god, I love that song. It's, it's so up. good. I mean, Alt J has like one good album, and then on that, uh, not on that album, there's like three songs that are decent. <laughs> that song though is it's a good right. ass song. It's all right. It's uh, their best song is Pleader. Their second best song is Warm Foothills. Matilda's definitely like I don't know. Tarot is really good. Oh no! I mean, what? What else? They got Left Hand Free is a good one. Yeah, Hunger of the Pine. No, now you're now you're going into the stuff that just is is nonsense by them. Bullshit. That <laughs> those are some good songs. Oh man! If we ever if we ever get do some more bonus episodes about music, we bring back song screed commodities. We'll have to argue about Alt J because yes, I I, I can't stand. I'm just arguing for those songs I listed. <laughs> just those two. I've got. To make my position me, firm. It drives me crazy that it's like every, all my friends like loved Alt J and for their first two albums, and I'm like, yeah, these do nothing for me. Like you know, they just have this weird shtick that's like not very intriguing. And then their third <laughs> album comes out, and I'm like, I fucking love it. They're actually doing something that's like interesting and and new and fresh. And everybody I know who loves Alt J was like, yeah, this is garbage. And I'm like, they're no. just over them. <laughs> yeah, that one's good too. I like all of it. Okay, yeah. So that that I'll, I'll have to throw that to Ben. See if he wants to talk about. It. I don't even know if he has any thoughts on Alt J. But of course, they have the Matilda song. And I guess while we're on that topic, there was a time when Justin texted me the words, "This is from Matilda." I think what four or five times. And then you sent me the gif of the kid eating cake from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yup. So okay. After Alt-J, of course, the start of Matilda. No, the true start of Matilda. We can't talk about Matilda without discussing Roald Dahl. Because, one, he's the one who wrote the actual novel, Matilda, that this movie is based on. And, two, I don't think we've—yeah, we haven't discussed any other Roald Dahl-inspired movie on Cinemodities. And I've been dying to talk about some Roald Dahl. So, he is a major influence on me. I read a lot of Roald Dahl when I was younger— and even though I haven't read all of them, you know, those books that I did read just stuck with me for so long, not in just, you know, what I, I like in, in literature, but a major influence on my own writing. I think the biggest thing I ever took from him was I love the way that his stories just aimlessly meander until they really get going. Like, all of his novels, it's like you start reading them and you're just like, okay, there's just, like, nothing happening and then it like it all makes sense once you get to the point of the story, and it's fantastic. But you know, of the ones I've read, I think I've loved them all. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Twits, The BFG, The Witches, SEO Trot. Like Roald Dahl is such an important part of my literature that I I just absolutely love seeing him his his books getting adapted into movies for better or for worse. I mean, I love the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the movie. A yes. Lot of, a lot of reasons I love that are not because they, like, really take from the book, but because the first half of that movie, which a lot of people seem to forget, is basically, like, documentary style. And it's very interesting. Like, it takes so much time for them to get into the Chocolate Factory. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox, the Wes Anderson movie, is is great. I love Wes Anderson, but I love that movie especially. The BFG, the Spielberg one, is not good. I did not enjoy that. 
I haven't um, seen that one. And then even the, I think it was like some, I don't even know if it went to theaters, but the Witches film adaption from a long time ago, that's just like a horrifying movie. Like they turned up, turned up the scary factor in that kid's book. But so with my history of Roald Dahl, I, I don't think we've ever talked about it, Justin. Do you have any history with Roald Dahl, like the, the novels or the stories or anything like that? Yeah, my big ones are James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Matilda. I goddamn love James and the Giant Peach. I've watched it again within the last two years, actually, and I was blown away. Dude, they nail the New York accents so good in that movie. I'm going to be honest. I never read his books. Okay. okay. But the movies inspired by his work are so damn good. Yes. And James and the Giant Peach, I was so surprised at how well that movie held up. I was getting so into those accents, I couldn't stop laughing. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is a, a great movie, and I I have been dying. I, gu- I guess we should say, if, if January 1st of next year rolls around and Zach is not back to Cinemodities, the start, the first series of 2021 will be the Henry Selleck series, which I've been dying to do. And currently, all of 2021 is, is, is like, mostly picked for Zach, and that's the only reason we can't do the Henry Selleck series, because Monkey Bone is in this series that he's picked. Henry Selleck... This is why I want to do Henry Selleck, the director. I want to do his, his filmography. One, there's only four movies, so we could do all four in one month. These are his four movies, Justin. James and the Giant Peach, Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, and Monkey Bone. Four fucking amazing Damn. movies. Damn. <laughs> this guy just never faltered. Yes, he only has four movies he's directed, and they're all amazing. And so one Hell day, yeah. we, will, we will have to get that in there. Because I, I want to talk about these movies so bad. Like, this dude has an impeccable track record. So, so Roald, yeah. Roald Dahl, of course, he is, uh, he is no longer with us. He died in 90, 89 or 90. But his, his stories have lived on for years to come. And now, since we've got our history out of the way with him, I have to say, being someone who's read Roald Dahl's work, not in a while, but, you know, having it stick with me, I definitely think this movie, Matilda captures the essence of his writing and even more so his rules for writing for children's writing i should be specific and roald dahl has gone on record saying that he has eight rules for children's writing so i want to list them off to you and our audience right now and as i'm listing them off justin i want you to think about how this movie captures these rules oh i have to use my brain only a little bit i swear (laughs) okay first rule just add chocolate. <laughs> no way. That's his rule. Yes. Second rule, adults can be scary. Eh. Third rule, bad things happen. Fourth eh. rule, revenge is sweet. Fifth eh. rule, keep a wicked sense of humor. Eh. Sixth rule, pick perfect pictures. What? Se- seventh rule, films are fun, but books are better. And eighth rule, food is fun. I think I think Matilda hits all of those perfectly. Yes, except pick the perfect picture. I'm not sure what he's going for there. Well, well, I that think sounds more like a book thing. With yes, than so a these, movie. These thing. were his rules for children's writing, of course. So right. you, you need, and he did work. With, so he's talking about picture, like picture books, or was, is he being allegorical at I all? Think, I think illustrations, because a lot of his books yeah. did have illustrations. He worked with a, right. with I think for most of his career the same illustrator. Um, but I think that's the one that. 
Danny DeVito picks up on this movie. Because, of course, Danny DeVito directed Matilda. We wouldn't be talking about it in this series otherwise. And I think that's what Danny DeVito took to heart, that when he directed this movie, you have to pick the perfect pictures. You have to pick exactly what the audience needs to see in the best way possible. And as we go through mm-hmm. some of this movie, I I'm, I'm think I'm really going to make the argument for this movie is a masterpiece of directing. But before we can get there... We all, I also wanted to talk about, I think this whole discussion so far has been me saying, before we get there, <laughs> <laughs> of course, this was a novel, so from uh, 1988, I believe, Matilda, and I was very interested, usually when we talk about movies that are based on books, I like to think or find out, well, what are the differences, what do they change for the movie, that type of thing. And I was pleasantly surprised to find that there's not a lot of differences between the book and the movie. Like, they actually kept the adaptation pretty strict to the book. But, of course, there were some differences. Uh, I think the, the biggest one to point out is the way that the Matilda's powers are portrayed in the book and the movie. So, in the movie, it's just straight telekinesis, right? Like, she can just move stuff with her mind. Would you say would you say that's correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the and and it's like she has just she can just do it. Once she figures it out, you know, it, it, and she's just able to control it, she just Yeah, she got to train it and there's the whole, you know, she's got to learn how to do it, you know, making Danny DeVito yell at her, which he somehow just All right, we'll get into Danny DeVito's <laughs> obliviousness. Yeah. Cuz there's a few things there, but yes. Once she trains it up, just raw dead. telekinesis. And so in the book there it's not really described as as supernatural it's actually like in the book described as miraculous like she's performing miracles they say a few times apparently and also in the book it takes an incredible amount of energy like matilda is like exhausted after she uses her powers like in the book in the book her biggest accomplishment is picking up the chalk and writing the thing to scare trunchbull away at the end and And in the movie she's just mickey mouse you know merlin type (laughs) Yes. Fantasia with the it. The whole classroom is like going crazy in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So the other thing that I thought was interesting in the in the book is that at the end, apparently she loses her powers because after she's like able to go to this school and like actually like have a good environment, she the the movie uh, sorry the book describes it as she's able to focus her brain power on learning more things, and so she loses her powers because that's where her brain power was going when she couldn't like fully learn. So I think this... that's interesting because yeah. as a kid, you definitely lose shit when you get older. You know, you can do so much as a kid and then only the stuff you actually stick with sticks. Have you ever seen the movie Baby Geniuses? Uh, We're like I ba- saw Boss Baby. Can oh, we I use that one instead? I don't. I've never seen Boss Baby, but I think they're oh, you suck. different movies. <laughs> but Baby Geniuses is about like these babies that are geniuses, but they like they speak. The way they can understand each other, but the humans can't understand them. And I think there's like some, they have to stop like a someone taking over the world type of thing. But there's a premise in that movie that when you're like a baby, as soon as you hit this certain age, you just become a complete baby, like an idiot, like you lose your entire genius. So that when you describe okay. that, when you lose things from, you know, as you grow up, it made me think of baby geniuses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's real. Oh, yeah. So I was interested in that as well. When I was reading about that, that huge difference from the the book and the movie about her powers, I was like, oh, that is really interesting. And I didn't have the time to go and read the book, even though it's fairly short and it is a kid's book. But 
I, I do want to check it out, you know, now that I've seen the movie or gotten it back in my head. But I was reading about other people, like, comparing the book and the movie, and I found a really interesting uh, blog post, which I'll put in the show notes, the link to it. It's from a, a blogger.com user named Liss, L-Y-S-S, and she's commenting on the, the two versions of Matilda, the book and the movie, and she writes... Quote, the movie made Matilda look more like a superhero and gave its viewers the message that anything is possible. In slight contrast, the book gave its readers the feeling that anything is possible, but it might hurt. End quote. Mm. And I thought that was pretty interesting, that there's this, this little switch. There's this, even though it's kind of a, a big difference in the storytelling of the two, it's a very slight difference in what we get from the meaning of these things. Because I guess yeah. we should say on this topic... The movie does end where, you know, we get, like, the happily ever after kind of thing for Matilda. And Danny DeVito, as the narrator, says, you know, and she never had to use her powers again except yep. for, like, minor little things to, like, get the book from the shelf and stuff like that. So yeah. it, is a, it is a very it's – a, it's a noticeable difference between the book and the movie. But it is – it changes the message ever so slightly. And I find that really cool. Are you upset? Do you think they could have just slipped it in? No big deal. No, no. Do you I, feel I, like little kids have been um, they've been neglected, <laughs> the, and now they've missed out on an incredible life I, lesson? I think this movie Be has to end that way. I think this movie needs like the pure optimism. Like I, I think it would work less if there was some element of non-optimism at the end. You think we get that enough from everything else? I, the level I, of effort. Just watch any anime. I, <laughs> I I definitely think that's um I think Justin knows and our audience if we have any prolonged listeners at this point I'm the one who always wants sad things to happen in in my stories and this is yeah the you rare wanted occasion. Mitch Trunchbull to win this is the rare occasion where I'm like it needs to be happy like this movie is so like not cynical that it needs to end with the perfect happy ending and it really works so I'm I'm very surprised by that as well. Okay, and you know it's not like there wasn't darkness. Like she didn't struggle. Sure. I mean, yeah. she struggled enough with just her life that maybe Danny DeVito's like, look, you know, she doesn't need to suffer more. And she only got her powers out of anger and just out of her, her you know, her her dismay for her state yes. of life. So she suffered in not like a raw energy level, but sort of on an emotional way instead. Exactly, and I think that goes back to one of the Roald Dahl's rules, bad things happen. And that, yes. and that, that is definitely apparent in this movie, and it, it's all for the better. So just a, a few other quick things that happened in the book and not in the movie. Uh, apparently in the book there's a scene, the, the two prank scenes where um, she, like, dyes Danny DeVito's hair or messes with his, his oil, hair oil, that happens in the book, and the glue yeah. of the hat happens in the book. Apparently there's also a scene in the book where she pranks her parents into thinking that there's a ghost in the house. I haven't read it, but I'm very interested to see like what that what that or plays like in the book. Matilda never goes into the chokey in the book, which I thought was interesting. That you know, oh. there is that point where what Trunchbull's angry that her father sold her the bad car. Sell the lemon. lemon, will you? And puts her yeah. in the chokey. There's a whole other teacher character in the book called Mister Trilby, and he's the one that becomes principal at the end, not Miss Honey. Oh, uh, and then fuck I think him. the. <laughs> Miss Honey deserves it. And then the only other thing is uh, what the movie added that they didn't just remove from the book. There is no breaking and entering scene. where, where You know that scene where Miss Honey and Matilda go into Trunchbull's house to try and, like, 
get yep, the doll, yep. and they, you get that whole Miss Honey backstory. That yeah, they happen. do a B and E. Yeah, in the in the book, they, there's a whole different way they reveal Miss Honey's backstory, which is the same in the movie. That's Aunt Trunchbull and that type of thing. Yeah. So so pretty good. I mean, I think there's some instances we've talked about a few on Cinemodities where um, movies can be hurt for not sticking to the source material. And in contrast, they can also be hurt because they stick to the source material too much. But I think this is a case where they, they take the essence of the Roald Dahl novel and, and they own it and it's all for the better. So there's a few other things background. Now I think you're going to like these, Justin. Uh, yeah, I, I, guess, I haven't liked anything yet. So Justin, He's got the noose ready to go. <laughs> so um, I guess we should say... I'm putting myself in the chokey. <laughs> Rob, recording with you is like being in the choke. <laughs> oh God, I hope I hope somebody like on iTunes leaves us a five star review, but says it's like getting put in the chokey after this episode comes out. <laughs> so, so I didn't mention it for Hoffa, but Hoffa is Danny DeVito's first financial failure. Uh, I didn't write down its box office information. I just wrote down that it was a failure. It did not do well, and. In contrast, you know, Throw Mama from the Train and The War of the Roses actually made bank at the box office. So Danny DeVito was riding high. Hoffa doesn't do too well. And surprisingly, Matilda also was a financial failure. It came out on August 2nd in 1996. It made $33 million against a $36 million budget. So it definitely did not make its money back. And even though it was a box office failure, it got, like, crazy good critical reviews and i think just from everybody i've talked to about danny devito throughout my entire life and all the people i've talked to setting up this series this movie lives on in the memory of every person who was a kid in like the mid 90s to late to or mid 2000s like everybody seems to know this movie and that's crazy to me yeah i was i would have never thought that it, it didn't do well i'm sure he made bank though once that hit hit dvd and oh, tv and all that video sales for this and rental sales must have been insane and i, I oh yeah i didn't know that up, but i didn't find anything about it but i'm sure because i know that's how i started there's I no way he's still in the negative yet. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see this in theaters when I was three and a half years old. <laughs> right. So this uh, movie also, which I found very interesting, there's two people credited for writing this screenplay. And, of course, it's an adapted screenplay like we talked about. Um, it, it's actually a husband and wife, uh, Nicholas Kazan and Robin Swicord. I think Robin Swicord has come up a few other times on Cinemodities, but the one I want to bring up because it's they, they wrote – went on to write a movie two years after this, Nicholas Kazan, after he writes the screenplay with his wife for Matilda, he goes on to write the screenplay for Fallen, which we actually watched recently. Oh, no way. Yes. So the same person that wrote Matilda wrote uh, about Azazel. <laughs> Hell yeah. So yeah, I was very surprised because those two movies, these two movies could not be any different. But if you remember when we were watching Fallen, the the lead female actress, we were like, we've seen her before. Where's she from? And it's M. Beth Devitz who plays Miss Honey in this movie. Miss Honey. Oh, shit. So, so yeah, we got some connections between this and Fallen, which wow. I guess just for the audience, uh, that was a movie that I had never seen. For some reason, Justin, it was like, I remember it from my childhood. We got to watch it. We watched it's it. It's like, Rob, do not let this die. Blown away how good I think that movie. Like, not that I just enjoyed it. That was a fucking, like, amazingly well put together movie. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. And it had a dark ending, so it was right up your alley. Yeah. So so Nicholas Kazan, after Fallen, of course he does some other stuff. Uh, I don't think anything you know worth to note until I had to bring it up because I've seen it. Uh, right now he's he's got a track record. Matilda and Fallen, great stuff. In 2016, he writes Uh-oh. the movie The Whole Uh-oh. Truth. Have you ever heard of The Whole Truth with Keanu Reeves? Keanu Reeves is the lawyer? No. Okay, okay. So I, I have unfortunately seen this movie. And uh, if anybody doesn't want to hear spoilers for this, you're a fool because it's a terrible movie and uh-huh. you should never watch it. But the whole premise of this movie is that um, this, this dude is dead and the, his son is on trial for killing him. So, like, the son is on, file for, for, on trial for patricide and Keanu Reeves is the lawyer. And the whole movie is, like, Keanu Reeves is representing this kid, and the kid will not talk. Like, the kid will not speak, like, not even to give testimony. He won't talk to his lawyer. He just sits in the courtroom, and he's, like, doodling the whole time. And the movie, oh. Keanu Reeves is, like, a, he's, like, he's trying to defend this kid. And, like, there's so much evidence against him. But the Is kid, the like, kid innocent? The, the kid's kid got to be innocent. But here's the thing. The twist at the end of the movie, which is not set up in any way, shape, or form, it literally just comes out of nowhere, and the movie ends, and it's so stupid, Keanu Reeves killed the father. It is so bad. That's so it dumb. So, like, you, the whole movie makes you get on the side of Keanu Reeves, because he's this lawyer who's trying to, like, stand up for this kid, and you don't know why the kid won't stand up for himself, but then it's just like, well, fuck it, Keanu Reeves killed him. And it's then why wouldn't like, Keanu Reeves just let the kid go down, exactly. take the rap? That's the biggest question. It is. It, does they make him like feel bad that the kid's taking the rap for it? No, not at all. Because and the then he's like, done you know, where the kid, the kid like finally talks, and the kid doesn't even talk about it in court. Like they're like out on like the court steps before going in one day, and the kid's just like, "I know you did it, Keanu Reeves." And the movie like goes to a flashback and reveals that it was Keanu Reeves, and then the movie ends. And I'm just That's... like. Dumb. I hate everything about this. <laughs> That's lame. So Nicholas Kazan has has fallen, pun intended, ah. a long way since the late nineties. <laughs> Damn. So yeah, no one should ever hey, see the whole. Trip. Everyone has their flop, you know. And, Except for that guy who did Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he knew when to stop. You know, he knew he knew when he had reached his. He knew that he. Uh, maybe he hasn't stopped. Maybe While he hasn't head, found you know? the the right script to direct next. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so so there was a lot of a lot of history behind Matilda. I think as we go through this movie, there's going to be some other uh, things about the movie, but. We got that all the way. Like I told Justin before we recorded, there's so much to talk about with this film. So now, Justin, are you ready to actually talk about the movie proper? Wait, we're actually doing that? I thought we were just going to talk around the movie the we're, whole podcast. We're, we're doing it, and I think I've made it clear what I think, but but I'll throw it over to you, Justin. Top item, after seeing it as a kid, like we both did, and finally revisiting Matilda, what did you think of it? Oh, it was great. Man, Danny DeVito, I didn't appreciate how good Danny DeVito was as a kid. He was outstanding in this movie. I was all about it. It it held up really well. That was what I was going to ask you. Did it hold up? I am with you. I am kind of – I was watching it uh, two nights ago, and I was kind of utterly baffled how good it is. Yes, I was definitely in the mindset where I was like, yeah, I watched this as a kid. I know it's like Matilda. She's not treated well. She gets powers. I knew it had a happy ending. I was like – I was really kind of like – 
like, you know, uh, tepid on it maybe. And I was just kind of like, oh, am I going to hate it? I don't want to like blow up at it. And I watched it and I'm just kind of like, I, I think it was, it was sealed very, not near the beginning of the movie, but when she starts to go to school, which is Crunchem, Crunchem Hall, Crunch yep. like Crunch them, Crunchem Hall. When she goes there and, you know, the introduction of Miss Trunchbull and Trunchbull, we get the goofiest goddamn scene in the history of cinema where Trunchbull hammer throws the girl with pigtails <laughs> and she's flying through the air. And I, my note is exactly the scene where Miss Trunchbull throws the girl with the pigtails is so goddamn goofy and strangely directed, but I can't help love it. Like, I am <laughs> loving it, and I don't know what it is. I honestly believe there is some nostalgia for me with this movie, because I liked it so much when I was a kid. But it it is actually a fucking masterpiece, I think. Like, in every way, shape, and form. It's, it's mind-blowing. Uh, yeah, I feel like we almost don't get scenes like that anymore. You know, where... Where Miss Trunchbull just approaches this girl and she's all innocent, like, they're my pigtails. My mom says they're cute. <laughs> my mom, yeah, yeah. Amanda Thrip. Yes, Miss Trunchbull. What are those? What's what, Miss Trunchbull? Hanging down by your ears. You mean my pigtails? Are you a pig, Amanda? No, Miss Trunchbull. Do I allow pigs in my school? My mommy thinks they're sweet. Your mommy is a twit. You'll chop those off before school tomorrow, or I will come around. But! But! Did you say but? Aerosol. What? Definitely. And then then her just flying and just sliding. I feel like, you know, they were really raw in this movie. You know, Danny DeVito hates these kids and miss trunchbull hates them you know they didn't pull any punches forgetting the age everything it's just danny devito wasn't nice to her once i i think this movie the the thing that i i'm kind of probably the the main reason i'm so baffled with how much i like it is that it is so over embellished like like nothing just happens in this movie. Everything happens multiplied by a thousand. Like the girl gets thrown and she's just like skidding through. Not even skidding. She's just Is sliding. she going to clear the fence? She clears the fence and it's like – and the whole like the kid eating cake scene, like that is just pushed to the maximum. Like the whole yeah. – the, the, the other things that blow me away about this movie, the things that I don't remember, that this like – like Miss Honey's father supposedly committing suicide. They talk about suicide in this movie. There's even a scene where the two like happy-go-lucky main characters are like, "We don't think he committed suicide." I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like they're they're right? not pulling any punches in this movie, and that's what I I was just like blown away by that this movie, everything is just amplified to the maximum, from from the story to the directing to the acting. To, to the facial expressions, everything, and it all works. Like, I'm, I was watching this movie, and I'm just like, I don't think I can find anything bad to say about it. It's amazing. <laughs> Dude, they hooked me, honestly, from the first scene. The whole, some children are special, blah, 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 and then Danny DeVito gets his daughter, and he just looks at her and is immediately disgusted. Yes. 
for no reason. He didn't even, you know, learn to not like her. He literally got handed her and was complaining about the bill. It's not even his first kid. (laughs) He's just mad about the bill. Oh, and he's, I just loved how he's narrating the movie in this happy voice Mm -hmm. and also starring in it as just this piece of shit. Yeah, that, that was definitely, I was thinking about like, when I was trying to find things to critique about this movie, I think the the two things I was trying to latch on to were Mara Wilson, so the girl who plays Matilda, for the majority of the movie, not baby Matilda. I guess I do want to real quickly say, whoever played baby Matilda at the beginning looked straight up sedated. Like, I think they, like, fed that kid a lot of food and it was going into a food coma because that baby looked like <laughs> it was just about to fall asleep in every <laughs> shot. But... But Mara Wilson, who plays Matilda for, you know, the Matilda that we know her, I was kind of like, she's not the greatest child actor, but the but yeah. I think that's purposeful. Like, when she's, like, put next to other child actors and Miss Honey, like, it really works. So I was trying to, like, find issues there, but I was like, no, it just, it serves the movie too well. But the other thing was the narration. I was like, is it weird that Danny DeVito is playing the father who's so mean and so evil, and so, maybe not evil, but conniving, and, and like Matilda says, Daddy, you're a crook, and, and he's doing <laughs> the narration that's, like, fueling the story of Matilda's happiness and, like, her, her you know, enjoyment of life and, and learning and things like that. I was like, is that weird? And I was trying to think, is there somebody else that could have been the narrator and it would have worked better? And I think that— Miss Honey, I, easy. I, I think that I, but I don't I, know if it would have worked better. She could have been yes. the narrator. So so I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned someone else in the movie because I was definitely at first I was thinking like what if they just had like another actor like not in the movie or maybe in a very small role in the movie being the narrator. And I was kind of like that wouldn't really work because this her movie, brother. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Because this movie is so insular. Like, think about it. Like, we have all these extras, and sure, the school supposedly has all these kids in it. But the whole movie's very small. It's Matilda and her family, the two teachers, Trunch, or the, the principal and the teacher, Trunchbull and Honey. And then we get, like, what? Her two Lavender. Friends. Yeah, and, and then, Oh, what was that tall girl's name? Hortensia. That was the greatest name I've ever heard. And that that's another thing about this movie where I was like, I want more of these minor characters. Like, I want more Hortensia. I want more Bruce Bogtrotter other than the cake scene. You know? Oh, my God. Bruce Bogtr- Bogtrotter, I thought. And so – and I think – I heard – I'm pretty sure I heard her call Bo- – Trunchbull called him Bog at one point. Or at least it sounded like that. But Maybe. Who, who knows? But I, I was kind of thinking like – what if they got, you know, someone from the time, like 1996, you know, who was big or who was someone that Danny DeVito's worked for before? Like, just for the sake of argument, say, like, you know, Jack Nicholson. Like, could he could he or anyone with a big name narrated this movie? And I don't think it would have worked. I think you need someone whose voice we're regularly hearing to to guide this story because we're, we're literally seeing Matilda's life, you know, from birth to when she finds happiness. So you need someone that's constant in the story and as this through line. And then when I started to think about, well, would anybody else work? And, you know, Miss Honey comes to mind. And it's like I started to realize, no, the reason that it works is because Danny DeVito is so mean in the movie, but he is this this kind, almost, you know, 
objective character in the narrator just telling us Matilda's thoughts. And I think that juxtaposition of we're hearing this same voice but under two different personalities, that's what makes it thrive. Because the movie sets it up so well is that when you hear the narrator, you know it's Matilda. It's Matilda's thoughts. It's what she's going through. And it, you know it has to be good. And when you see Danny DeVito on screen, you know it's her father, and you know it's bad, and you know that it's it's her motivation for something. And I'm like, it, it's masterful. I was trying to pick it apart, and I'm just like, no, they, they made the right decision. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I mean, that's a convoluted explanation. I, I just thought it was just an interesting decision for Danny DeVito to be like, yo, I'm going to narrate this shit too. Like maybe what you said's going through his mind. Mm -hmm. I really want to know what he was thinking when he decided to to be the narrator. Because I just oh, think yeah. it's such a weird decision for him to make. Definitely. I was about it. I don't have a good explanation for why I was about it, but I was just like, that's weird, and I dig it. Yeah, yeah. It it. I think that that the the baseline, the testament of this movie is that it does work, and it's kind yeah, of like yeah, it does. It, and it's just it's just like. Everything, everything just adds up to make this movie fantastic. So, I mean, you know, that was his decision to be the narrator and play this character. I think I now I definitely want to talk about the directing. Like, like I said before, everything is so embellished. The thing that I definitely didn't remember that really I really, really liked is that this is a kid's movie, like through and through. Like it has the hallmarks of a of a child of a movie for families or for children. And, you know, I think some of those hallmarks are the, like, the explicit dialogue. Like, a lot of stuff is to the point. Like, the pacing, like very direct. Yep. Like, the, the story is just told. You know, there's not a lot of that, oh, we have to watch the characters and, 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 and infer what they're feeling, things like that. The direct and extreme close-ups of people's faces and the embellished <laughs> eyeline. Like, that's what kids' movies do. They show you exactly these characters' faces and where they're looking. So the kids cannot misconstrue, like, who is in this scene and what they are seeing, that type of thing. And this movie is clearly doing that because it is a kid's movie, a family movie. But it's, once again, it serves the movie perfectly because whenever we get a close-up of Matilda, you know, she's squinting her eyes, she's using her powers, we know exactly what she's doing, and we're in that moment with her. Whenever we get a close-up of Trunchbull, it shows her terrible teeth, it shows her disgusting-looking face— and we Yo, know she's, that she's gnarly. the villain. And, yeah. and it's so well done. I was at the I've said on Cinematics before, I hate close ups, you know, like whenever we talk about um some like uh the, the, the era of found footage, like after Blair Witch and everybody was like, Oh my god, you like this is how we shoot things. We put it really close to their face. I I've screamed a lot on Cinematics, move the camera away from your face, you know, that type of thing. And and there's some directors I don't like because of them, you know, getting, uh, like, spiking the camera and just getting direct shots of people. But this movie, I have no problem with it. Like, it makes this, it makes the story. We need to see what these characters are thinking. And I especially love some of the blocking. Whenever it's you have characters, they're so close together. You know, we never get scenes of where it's like, you know, Miss Honey and Matilda are on opposite sides of a room. They're always right next to each other. We always get everything very closely confined, and it's you know exactly what's happening, and you're in the moment, and you're feeling it with these characters, and it's beautiful. It's it's a masterpiece, Justin. Hell yeah. So so yeah, I I definitely wanted to get that out there because I I am I am blown away for sure. So I don't think this movie really needs a plot synopsis. I think a lot of people know 
this like the the general like kind of structure of this movie and what it's about. So I definitely wanted to point out some scenes and things like that. I think, you know, we talked about the girl flying through the flowers, uh, whatever her name, Amanda something, that little girl. And, you know, my mom thinks they're cute. Miss Honey, I picked these flowers for you. Miss Honey, I picked these flowers. Dude, that was actually so good. Oh, yeah. Like, that's not the best phrasing for that. It should have been like, Miss Honey, I was thrown into these flowers, so I got them for you. I know, but that's why it was so hilarious. She just gets launched, and as a kid, you're like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, honestly, that reminded me of a bad dream where you're just falling from so high up. Sure. And as a kid, you're like, holy crap, that's so scary. And then they, you know, she's just chilling and then takes the flowers and gives them to her teacher. Like, <laughs> and just nonchalantly. Oh, my God, that cracked me up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that scene is great. And I, I think I do want to talk about Miss Honey. So, of course, as we said before, M. Beth Davitz. She, uh, I don't remember who she plays in Fallen, but she's the lead actress. She's the one that tells Denzel about Azazel and all that stuff. Um, I think she's great in this movie. I think she does the, yeah. like, the pure happiness. Even even when she's telling her sad story about her father and Aunt Trunchbull, like, there's still some sense of optimism in there, which I think is perfect for, for this movie and for the actual character of Matilda. But I gotta say, wh- why... She's, like, emaciated. She's so goddamn skinny. Like, she was so skinny, it was distracting me in some scenes. That M. Beth Davids looks like she's about to die. She's so skinny. What? <laughs> I didn't get that. You didn't pick up? Oh, my God. There were some scenes where I'm like, oh, my God. Like, she should be eating this cake right now. She needs it. She's oh, my God, out. Rob. <laughs> she's so skinny. <laughs> now I got to Google this. Is she – wow, you thought she was anorexic in this or she, some shit? Definitely. I think in what, like in her first scene when she's in the classroom and she's like, she's like we're going to do our, our times table by two or whatever – and it's just like I'm like, oh my god! Like she looks like just a skeleton. It's crazy. Were you able to do all those times tables? No, I needed a calculator. <laughs> Me too. I was very impressed when they got the calculator reference because oh. you know when she did she did the the big multiplication problem on on paper, mm-hmm. and I was like, wait, why didn't she just use a calculator? And then Miss Trunchbull was like. Why do we need to do multiplication? We could just use a calculator. And I was yes. like, yes, yeah, was I agree. Great, I don't know yeah. why she would do that on paper. That scene that with the calculator and Trunchbull, because that's when Miss Honey goes and she's like, Matilda's a gifted child. She should be moved up. She should go to a different class. Like that scene is so important. Well, one, because it shows that Trunchbull, you know, that's what like you were mentioning. Miss Honey says like she can multiply large numbers in her head. And Miss Trunchbull goes, so can a calculator. Good to see you, Jen. Good, good, good. Time for one of our little heart to hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's about the, the, the new girl in my class, Miss Trunchbull, Matilda Wormwood. Her father says she's a real wart. A what? A carbuncle, a blister, a festering pustule of malignant ooze. Oh, no. Matilda Wormwood is a very sweet girl. And very bright. A bright child? Yes. She can multiply large sums in her head. So can a calculator. Well, I think she might be happier in, in an older and in a more advanced class. Ah, I knew it. You can't handle the little viper, so you're trying to foist her off on one of the other teachers. No, 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 Miss Trunchbull. Yes, typical, slothful cowardice. Listen to me, Jen. The distance the shot put goes depends upon the effort you put into it. Perspiration! 
If you can't handle the little brat, I'll lock her in the chokey! Get it? Yes, ma'am. One day, Jen, you'll see that everything I do is for your own good. And the good of those putrescent little children! Yeah, yeah. But, but then that scene is so important because, like, Trunchbull's immediate reaction to when she's like, she's a very bright kid, she should be in a higher level class, Trunchbull immediately says, oh, you're trying to get rid of a student. Like, you can't handle her. You're trying to pawn her off on a different kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, her view of children and education is so skewed from what it should be and, and what Miss Honey's is that it is, that scene is so revealing and it's so well done because at the same time, we don't know in the context of the movie that, you know, it's, it's Aunt Trunchbull. And we get that weird stuff that kind of plays a little strange. Aunt Murderer Trunchbull. Yeah, where, where Trunchbull is like, Jenny, one day you're going to learn that I'm doing this all for the best. And it's like, why would she say that to a teacher? Like one of her employees, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> and, and so it's very well set up. Well, not to mention the dart throwing to start it all off. Talk about good directing. <laughs> and she's throwing darts at pictures of the yeah. students. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think both as both of us being people who have taught classes before, we would definitely want to do that with some students. I'm sure. But, Wait, you haven't done that. But may well maybe with like one or two pictures, right? Not the entire <laughs> student body's pictures. Like like you cannot see the dartboard. There's all pictures on it. <laughs> well, I love how Miss Honey knocks and she still throws the dart. Like yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. A very, very um, kids movie type of shot is when she opens the door and it cuts to like the side view of her opening the door and the dart like just misses her type of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's so fun. It's so fun to watch that stuff. Did you find a picture of Miss Honey? How skinny she is? I just think she's skinny. I don't get that too skinny, emaciated vibe. I just get a, a skinny woman We are impression. out of the chewed up and spit out series, so I can I can body shame women again. <laughs> no. Please. I'm not I'm not shaming her. I mean she's great in this movie. She's just too skinny. Like like if she came to me and asked me medical advice, I would say you need to eat something. Give her that you'd give her the chocolate cake. I would give her the chocolate cake. Okay, I guess <laughs> we gotta talk about the chocolate cake scene. Because that was the one that clearly you remembered after you texted me the gif of it. That's I, always been the most memorable to me. I remembered it as well. I did not remember how it comes off as straight body horror. Like, it gets uncomfortable to watch, I think, at a certain point. <laughs> oh, yeah. She made it with her blood, sweat and blood. Oh, God. And the cook is, like, rubbing her entire forearms on her nose. Yes. And like that. In the era of COVID, the amount of the her touching herself made me uncomfortable. <laughs> so I, I have to say, I, I think Cinemodities, and you know this about me, I'm not the biggest fan of chocolate in general. I don't really like it by itself. I like it as like a very minute amount in certain things. Sure. To me, this cake looks absolutely disgusting. It does. It looks pretty nasty. It looks like straight up like tar is on this cake. This the the fudge chocolate is so thick. And then the way that the kid eats it and he can't eat any bite without like getting it all over his goddamn face. Oh my god. Oh, I was just like, oh my god. Like I was cringing a little bit watching. Cause then it goes in like the montage I... of him eating the whole cake and it's yes. the dissolves, and I'm like, oh my god. It's so good. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about like how they shot it. 
like, all right, kid, just put a ton of cake in your face and then, you know, spit it out because there's no way this kid's eating all that cake. Like, I was just imagining them rubbing chocolate all over his face. That, so, uh, take this, everybody take this with a grain of salt because I found it on IMDb Trivia and the IMDb Trivia you can basically say whatever you want. It's like lawless Wikipedia. So, <laughs> Justin, you could go change the IMDb. Don't get me started on Wikipedia <laughs> The Star Spangled Banner. But, oh, but, God. So, so I found, according to the IMDb trivia, the, the, the scene that they shot, the cake eating, so that whole scene with the auditorium and him eating the cake, it took them so long that the start and end time on the call sheet was the infinity symbol. So apparently this this what? shot went on for so many days of shooting that they stopped Why? putting start and end times to it. <laughs> Why? I I think that they literally had to like get all these different shots of like, you know, the kids in the audience, the the cake at different stages. But see, that's the thing. I How many times are you going to bring all those kids in in the audience? I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. I don't know. That sounds like nonsense. Stuff. And so, yeah, it is. I'm the only thing I can think of is they were like, you can only shove two handfuls of chocolate cake in my kid's mouth a day. Otherwise, he's not doing it. So, so there are a lot of movie industry regulations today and even back in the 90s for working with underage children. And that is yeah. a lot of uh, filmmakers you know, say uh, like how, how difficult it is to work with children. And there's also some people that murder children because they don't follow the rules. I'm looking at you, John Landis. And uh, that's a Wait, story. Wait, he murdered a child? Well, two children died on set when he had them working on hours they shouldn't have been. And he went to what court. What the fuck? He's a manslaughterer. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't know this, everybody look up what John Landis. What a psycho. Everybody look up John Landis' Twilight Zone movie. We're going to talk about that whole story one day on Cinemodities. Jeez, I, bro. But that always sticks. Everybody's like, John Landis, John Landis. And I'm like, yeah, he killed... Manslaughter. <laughs> anyway. That's uh, fucked. Brought in the real dark stuff for Matilda. So, yes, this scene is horrific to watch. Like, everybody, if you remember Matilda and you're like, oh, yeah, Matilda, like, I'll listen to them talk about it. Please go back and find this scene on YouTube or something if you don't... I, I mean, I think Justin and I recommend you watch the entire movie. But if just if you find this scene, like, oh, my God, it is body horror. Like, this cake, the way he eats it, the way that Trunchbull is, like, just looming over him the entire time. The only saving grace is that the rest of the kids cheer for him at the end, and it becomes happy. <laughs> yeah, you get Matilda starting the chant. And, and then you get Miss Trunchbull, like, why are you kids having fun? Yes. And that's when you start to get the vibe of... Wait, when they just gang up against Miss Trunchbull, she doesn't win. Yep, you know, yep. that that was setting the stage for the final scene where Miss Trunchbull is trying to run out of the school and they're throwing chocolate cake in her face and eggs and all this shit. She's not even throwing elbows. I thought she'd be throwing <laughs> elbows right there. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That There's strength in numbers. Definitely. Yeah. It makes good. me think of the, uh, the old Simpsons joke that is now uh, – or has been officially canceled for a while where Martin Prince says, He's right. Individually, we are weak like a single twig. But as a bundle, we form a mighty faggot. Oh, my God. <laughs> of course the Simpsons would do that. So so I do also, in that scene, a, a minor detail I 100% did not remember from my childhood. And I literally laugh. I was laughing hysterically out loud by myself in my apartment. 
after the kids are cheering for Bruce and he finishes the cake, he finishes it by like licking the platter that it's on. Yeah, yeah. And Trunchbull breaks it over his head. Oh my god, yeah, I didn't remember that either. And it straight shatters. Like, (laughs) it is so. I don't know why I like it came out of nowhere and I was just dying laughing. (laughs) Imagine a silver platter shattering. Like, oh my god, it was great. And and once again, like I was saying, it's so over embellished and it works. Like he, she just made this kid eat an entire fucking cake, and it looks like he's about to go into like a diabetic coma from all the sugar. But he right. has his last wind, and she's angry, so she smashes the platter <laughs> on him. <laughs> oh my god, oh my it's god. amazing. hundred percent. Yeah, that that was a fantastic scene for sure. So with that one out of the way, uh, Justin, what? Any scenes you want to mention out of Matilda? I really liked the end scene where Miss Trunchbull comes in to confront Matilda and, you know, just off of conjecture, off of the red ribbon, she decides, I'm going to go and and teach your class. She's just on the brink of mental just collapse. And I really enjoyed watching Matilda just destroy her. Honestly. Oh, yeah. That is a great scene. And that that whole bit when she's writing on the chalkboard and all the kids in the class are reciting it as it's being written, that's yeah. creepy stuff. Yes. The CGI on when Miss Trunchbull throws the kid out the window and Matilda's just <laughs> spinning him around in circles. That was so good. Yeah, and he's like he he's, has his arms out like he's flying and he's like, Wee! <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, that, that whole end scene where she really, you know, is able to use her powers. And it's set up even, you know, really well because as they get into the classroom, like Miss Honey's putting everything away. And Matilda's asking her questions where it's like, you know, okay, it's like your dad called you, what was your nickname? Bumblebee. And it's like, what did she call you? Jenny. And it's like, well, what's her first name? Agatha. And so it's it's like Matilda's conniving to get all that info she needs to really, you know, send her home. And it's it's just like, okay, she knows. She's a smart kid, of course. She knows. Dude, she was scheming. Oh, and before that, something that a small detail that I thought was just ridiculous was... Before that all happened, when, you know, Miss Trunchbull pulls up in the lemon, which she's still driving and never confronts, you know, Matilda's dad about. So Matilda gives Miss Honey the doll and she gives her a chocolate. And then Miss Trunchbull pulls up and Matilda's instinct is to snatch the chocolate back. Miss Honey can hide a doll, but apparently she can't hide a small (laughs) piece of chocolate. That yeah, who knows there? I mean, you could probably even put the chocolate in the doll, right? Like in its dress or something. <laughs> yeah, or just you know, yeah, anything, anything would have been good yeah. there. That, that doll was a nice touch, especially because its name uh, or Miss Honey called it Lissy Doll, 
Lissy Lissy Dahl is or was the name of Roald Dahl's actual wife. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, so, so we have like a like a, a play on words with Dahl D O L L and D A H L, the author's name. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. That I like that stuff where it's like them. Even though that was what we said wasn't in the book, I love those scenes in the movie where Matilda and uh, Miss Honey are like running from Trunchbull in her house or, you know, Magnus's house. And we get all those things where Miss Honey's explaining, like, their history and the backstory between her and Trunchbull. And that shot of, of Trunchbull's face eating the chocolate and she's like, much too good for children. Much too good for children. Like, that, <laughs> that yeah. was, I, as soon as I saw that, I have, like, nom flashbacks. Like, that is burned into my memory and I had, like, finally repressed it. And it was, oh God, like it's so disgusting the way she eats that chocolate again. And it's like this weird, almost fisheye type lens where her nose is the furthest thing at the screen. And I'm just like, oh God. (laughs) Dude, Miss Trunchbull and Danny DeVito's characters were so good in this movie. Oh yeah. Miss Trunchbull lifting up the car and just moving it. Oh God. And I just love how they set her up as just this massive, scary woman. And then you just get to see Matilda take her down. I think that was done really well for a kid's movie. Yes. And Danny DeVito just nails it. I'm glad that they, that, uh, they have the, the story arc of, you know, of Magnus and, and like Magnus is back from the grave to, uh, to, you know, get Miss Trunchbull for what she did to him, which I guess is, do they ever, did you remember, do they ever explicitly say, like, she killed Magnus, or it's just implied, right? Yeah, it's just kind of implied. Because they say, we don't, like, Matilda's like, I don't think Magnus killed himself, and Miss Honey's like, I don't think so either, and so it's, yeah. what's left, other than, and then Trunchbull did it to get the house, or whatever. Um, right. Another, another very interesting fact, which I did not know until I did the research, uh, the portrait of Magnus that, like, flies into the... Yeah above the fireplace that's actually a portrait of Roald Dahl oh no shit yeah so they just they just like Danny DeVito as the great director he is was just like putting all these little easter eggs in there everywhere he could oh that's really cool oh yeah so you are absolutely right Danny DeVito you said it earlier I'm in complete 100% agreement with you I did not realize how good of an actor he was and how good this performance was when I was a kid like oh no way he is phenomenal in this movie even though he's a like a terrible person just everything yep. all the mean shit he does and then even the stuff to Matilda that's just mean and the stuff that he's doing with like the car parts and whatnot he just owns it so well like he is so happy to explain to his son how to hook up the two way drill to the car's odometer to run it backwards <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh my god, and I love his interactions with Matilda. He's so oblivious. It's amazing. Like she he doesn't realize she super glued this shit to his head. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with the FBI was so well done. She's just telling him like they're cops. They're Pee-wee Herman's in the house. Yeah. No that and, and, and <laughs> Rhea Perlman the mother's like, "No, they're not this speedboat salesman." <laughs> oh my god, and they immediately start packing up as soon as she's like, "They're the cops." Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That uh, I'm with Danny DeVito. I'm thinking of that scene like the way he just belittles or not even belittles just doesn't understand and doesn't give any mention or thought to matilda like that first night when miss honey shows up to the house and miss honey's like uh like mr wormwood like i'm i'm your daughter's teacher and he's like oh what'd she do matilda go to your room right now yeah, with, with yeah. no other information <laughs> hello 
We don't give money. We don't like charities. We don't buy raffle tickets. Mr. Woodward, I'm Jennifer Honey. I'm Matilda's teacher. What's she done now? You, go to your room right now. Right now. Beat it. Look, whatever it is, she's your problem now. Oh, my God. And, and I really liked when she's reading Moby Dick and he goes up to her and he's like, what are you reading? And she's like, Moby Dick. And he goes, Moby what? Moby what? <laughs> <laughs> this is trash. This is filth. <laughs> yes. What is this trash you're reading? It's not trash, Daddy. It's lovely. It's called Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Moby what? This is filth. Trash. Oh, man. Yeah, they, and they, I think Danny DeVito does a great job, but I think the movie does a fantastic job of the dynamic between the parents, because, like, both the parents are, like, evil in their own way. Like, the mother's just oblivious. Um, (laughs) I didn't go to school, and look, I've got a nice house with a nice family, and look at you, you've got to teach stupid kids all day. And and then Danny DeVito's got that the business and the greediness going on, but yep. just in the few scenes or the few lines of dialogue that we get where like they're interacting, like the one that stood out to me that really showed a lot about her, like their dynamic as the parents, is when the mother comes to the car dealership and she's like, "I hit it big at bingo, I won money," and Danny yep. DeVito's like, "How much did you win? How much did you win?" And she's like, "I'm not gonna tell you." That's for me to know and you to find out. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my god! It's like not even these parents. They're not even like an evil team. They're just terrible people who are happen to be married. Like, yeah, they're not even like in it together. It seems. And I thought that was very well done. Where, and then even before that, or I think you know, a little after that, I should say, is when the hat's glued to Danny DeVito's head, and they're in the yep. restaurant. That's so good. She's that like, scene. She's like, why'd you glue your hat to your head? And he's like, I didn't. And she's <laughs> like, no. Why would you do that? I know, dude, she rags on him so much. And her peeling the hat off his head was hilarious. <laughs> He's still got the shit stuck to his forehead at the end. Even the look like after she like tries to yank it off and it rips the brim off and he just has like the beanie that's left over. Like hilarious Yo, imagery. Oh my god. Yes. And then there was the most intriguing scene between them and Matilda. When they just agree to sign the adoption papers, like that was so ridiculous. She goes, I've had them in my bag since I learned how to Xerox, Matilda says. Adopt me, Miss Honey. You can adopt me. Look, I don't have time for all these legalities. One second, Dad. I have the adoption papers. What? Hey, where'd you get those? From a book in the library. I've had them since I was big enough to Xerox. Are you hearing this, Harry? All you have to do is sign them. I'll be an only child again. Shut up! I, I I can't think with all these sirens. What do you think, Pumpkin? You're the only daughter I ever had, Matilda. And I never understood you, not one little bit. Who's got a pen? dude that killed me they're just like all right sign it quick and he's like give me your back yeah like dude they were just so mean to her through and through oh yeah which is kind of rare there was no like i don't know reconciliation and no like and they even they make fun of it where you know like you were saying with the when they she busts out the adoption papers 
Uh, I think the yeah the mother says something like you're Matilda you're my only daughter I've never understood you I've never done this and she seems like she's getting sentimental and yep. then she's like where do I sign <laughs> where do I sign dude yeah, and so they set it up for that like moment of uh, I guess clarity on the parents part and nope like they are just they do not care type of thing and even cop sirens in the background we're going to Guam <laughs> yeah okay so I, I imagine it's the joke of the movie but like. The joke seems so subtle because the movie is set up that now Danny DeVito is and the family are running from the FBI because he's been doing this like illegal car parts stuff, which we gather, and they say they're going to go to Guam. Guam <laughs> is a U.S. territory. The FBI still has jurisdiction there. So, so they're not running from anything, right? I know. And, oh, my God, so this I, is the like second that... movie we've watched. Where they drop Guam That's from my childhood. That's true. First was Bad Boys 2, where they just end up in Guam for some reason because yeah. they're running from the whole cartel after the big fight scene, and then this. So so I think that, that comes brings up the point I was thinking of also with the Moby Dick line you mentioned earlier, is that another uh, – one of the things I love about this movie that I haven't mentioned yet – is that even though it's like a kids movie, and when I say kids, you know, I mean family movie, like a family-friendly movie. This movie might be the most well-balanced, like, family movie I've ever seen. Because I'm thinking of kids' movies these days. They, like, the, the, the golden rule, or maybe not the golden rule, the, the thing you always hear is that when you make a kids' movie these days, you gotta put some jokes in there that the kids aren't gonna understand, but the adults will, and it'll keep their attention. And that gets manifested yep. in ways like, you know, I, I know the movie Barnyard from years ago, the, uh, the animated cow movie where Kevin James is a cow. Like, there's a 69 joke because that's going to – the adults are going to know what that is, but the kids won't. And this just – you can always find these sex jokes that the kids aren't going to get, but the adults are going to, like, chuckle at them or something like that. This movie does that, I think, only once with the Moby Dick line. Like, Moby, what? But yeah. so subtle – that it's not even like I think there'd be some adults that don't pick up on that because the adults are gonna know Moby Dick and she's an avid reader and I think that might slip by some people and I think the same thing is like the Guam joke like no kid is gonna know that Guam is a U.S. territory and I think the same right thing with or the that adults. it's such a ridiculous place because everyone always says we're running away to Mexico yes you know or something like that and they pick Guam which is so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so balanced. Like, this might be one of the only movies I've ever seen that is legitimately for the whole family. Like, I think, like, a four-year-old could like this up to, like, a 90-year-old would like this. Right, and a kid isn't going to understand the whole dynamic between the FBI and the used car stuff and mm -hmm. rolling back the miles and just things like that. And Whereas I, an adult, it's like, oh, my God, yeah. I hate when my car doesn't work and just appreciates cars <laughs> just crapping out on you. Yeah. Like I've bought a car, a used car that, you know, completely shit the bed on me and the engine just broke. It was a Subaru. The head gasket just shit the bed. Exactly right. That the kids aren't going to truly understand that. But this movie portrays those things with the car, with the used cars, with the FBI agents in a way that, like, the kids will understand that it it's means bad. something to the plot, you know? Like, yep. we get that great line from one of the FBI agents who's like, like, we're going to get your dad and he's going to go to federal jail and you're going to go to a federal orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's your father who's going to federal prison. And you know where you'll end up? In a federal orphanage. 
And it's just like the kids are going to know what that means. They might understand that, you know, he's illegally buying car parts and, and not putting them on correctly. But they know yeah. that something is like there's this force in the movie that's pushing the parents along. And that's why it's masterful. Like, it's not just a joke thrown in there because, oh, we need to appease the adults. It's actually blended in such a way that it works on different layers for different people watching the movie. Yeah, and like you said earlier, there's a whole murder subplot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, that, that line blew me away where, uh, where uh, Miss Honey's telling the story and Matilda's like, well, what happened to, what happened to the father of the, of the little girl? And Miss Honey's just like, he took his own life. And Matilda goes, yeah. what would make somebody do that? And Miss Honey's like, yep. nobody really knows. And I'm like, okay. They are, they are wholeheartedly owning that Roald Dahl rule of bad things happen, and they are not yep. shying away from it. Yep. And then the other really big thing that stood out to me was – are you ready for this? I am so – was it one of the FBI agents being played by Pee Wee Herman? Oh, yeah. I meant to mention that earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I did not remember that at all. Like when the FBI show, agents show up and I'm like, that's Paul Rubens. And I'm like, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> that was kind of hilarious. No – just like like Mike in this movie, there was no counter magic. Oh, I didn't write that down. I think I was getting some twinges of that while. <laughs> so no, that that's a good point you bring up though. Now that we've discussed uh, before, when we discussed the change they made from the book, I don't I don't think in the book it was really counter magic, but her, the magic made her use a lot of energy. Yeah, and that you're right. Here we so don't there was have some that. tax. Yes, but you are absolutely right. She is the only person in this whole movie with this telekinetic ability, and I think that works. Or any ability, other than Miss Trunchbull's super strength. (laughs) That there actually is a good argument to say she is like the Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) She could do what Matilda can do. She just needs her hands on the thing. Yes, yes. So – no, that's a that's a good point, and I think that works well in this movie. Like when we discussed in Like Mike, you don't need counter magic because exactly you know, then it, this movie, if there was counter magic, would it would just start into, to bog down the plot, and it would have turned into one of one of my favorite movies, which I mention a lot on this podcast for this exact reason, is Dark City, and Dark City has like a lot of that telekinetic stuff in it, but multiple like good and bad characters have telekinesis. And I love that movie, but I hate the ending because it ends in a telekinetic battle where it's just two people standing across from each other holding their heads going, mm, Yeah, stupid. just throwing things at each other. Yeah, and there, there's no tension there. There's no I, – I guess a more recent example would be like those scenes in Harry Potter where it's like Dumbledore versus Voldemort. We're just watching two people throw CGI – like use their sticks to throw CGI things at each other. And it's like, that's not interesting. That's not like what I want to see. And there's no tension there. There's nothing to build the story. If, if there was like another character with powers, I think we would have gotten like Matilda would have had to stop the bad kid with powers. Yeah. It's like we were saying in like Mike, like if Jesse Plemons had sneakers and Bow Wow had sneakers, they'd have to like, you know, out jump each other. And it would have been just boring to watch. Yep. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, that that's a great point. You like I said in Under the Silver Lake, you are the king of no counter magic, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to discuss a movie that's heavy on counter magic, and you can describe all the ways it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, we've got to do that next. 
I can't think of a good one off the top of my head, but there's a lot. Oh, I mean, there's the obvious. You, know, you the, said Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, yeah, stuff like the norm, that. There's, I would say like, it the is norm, the norm for movies is having that good and that bad that, you know. And look at the Marvel Universe. Oh, my God, yes. I think the, the best example is like what, Iron Man 2? Or maybe all of the Iron Mans. Tony Stark has a robo suit. What are the bad? What does the bad guy have? Another, Another robo suit. <laughs> yup. Doctor Strange is a wizard. Who does he have to fight? The bad wizard. <laughs> yeah. And there's some other one-offs too that do it. I can't think of them right now. But there's there's a lot of movies where if there's just magic, there's counter magic. So, so speaking of the magic and the powers in this movie, something that I was kind of surprised by and did not remember, or I guess the way I, I thought about it was, if you asked me before I rewatched this movie, like, what minute of the movie, like, let's say, it's, I think it's about 90-minute movie, maybe a little longer, maybe an hour 38, but just for the sake of argument, so if someone said to me, like, it's a 90-minute movie, Matilda, what minute do you think she, like, like, what minute of the movie do you think she, like, has that montage where she learns to control her powers? I would have probably said, like, between 35 and 45 it's the 68th minute it takes over an hour for her to like actualize her powers now sure we get the scenes earlier where you know she blows up the tv she kind of moves she knocks over the cup with the newt in it on miss trunchbull and so yeah. there but i was kind of blown away that it takes her over an hour to finally get her powers and i'm just like yeah uh, it works if, if this and movie... when she blows up the TV, I didn't do it. Of course you didn't do it. <laughs> yes, it wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't do it. Of course you didn't do it, you little twit. <laughs> I, I was kind of like watching it. I'm like, it works. If, if this movie... If more than half of this movie was her having powers, it would get boring, right? Like, we'd watch yeah, so many scenes. Just too much of it. Of just like, oh, you know, because we get the little bit where she, she scares Miss Trunchbull at the school and at her house when she gets the doll. Yep, yep. You get the cool scene in the house. There's only three times she uses it, like, yep. in massive scenes. Can we throw a tribute to the song Send Me On My Way? Oh, my God. That song I love is so that good. song. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not realize it was in this movie. That is one of my notes, legitimately, is Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root is such a good song. Like, I, don't, yes. I didn't even need a note to remember that because this movie, like, introduced me to it and I've loved it ever since. But I Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've loved that song for ages. I, I think it's because of this movie. I lost track of it for a while in my life. And then I had no clue it was part of this movie. I just loved the song. <laughs> yeah. do 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 do, 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 do. Yeah, jumping ahead, that is definitely what I want to play in reverse at the end of this episode. I think that is like a no-brainer. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, that, that song is amazing, and that's kind of like, you know, this movie doesn't have a lot of, like, famous music in it. I think there's that and, what, uh, Little Bitty Pretty One when she's dancing to her montage of, um, 
when she's using her powers and doing everything in, in the her room. room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the whole score is also really good. It's like very light and upbeat, and you never really notice it. It just melds in with everything else. Oh, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> well done, Danny. Oh. Well done. So I, I think go back to something we said before like i'm glad that matilda um like gets rid of miss trunchbull by using the whole magnus subplot because one it's realistic that you know this is how you would get to a person and it helps miss honey and i think it works on those levels but i kind of got scared when we were watching this movie before you get the whole like magnus thing and the and the relationship of honey and trunchbull we do get the scene that reveals that trunchbull is afraid of cats Oh and yeah, I was. I got a little scared because I was like, "Oh no!" I like, hope the cat's okay. I was like, "Are they going to use cats to scare her away?" And they don't, which I'm very thankful for. But I yep. did laugh hysterically when Trunchbull straight up punts a cat. <laughs> yes, and that's another thing. Like, good job, Danny DeVito. He just plants that Miss, Miss Trunchbull has fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That she's not this uh, this unbreakable person for sure. Right. Oh yeah, it's it's just like I'm in I'm in awe of this movie, Justin. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, man. Oh yeah. Were there any I think that was all the scenes I had. I'm looking through my notes real quick, but is there anything Oh, I guess I did want to talk about uh some of the other kids in the movie. Um you know, I mentioned already that I don't think Mara Wilson was the greatest child actor, but it serves this movie well as I think other uh, kids do. Bruce in the cake eating scene, no issue with that. Like I'm sure that that kid had so much fun shooting those scenes, eating that cake or how much cake he could eat or whatever. I'm sure he just loved it, and it's it's done perfectly. I, when Lavender came on screen, at first I was like, why is she enunciating so much? Like, her lips move a lot for what she's Dude, saying. Dude, no joke. <laughs> but then I'm just like, okay, it's just... All these characters that aren't really major facets of the movie, they just have their little personality quirks that make them feel more fleshed out than they actually are. Like, there's only, like, Hortensia has, like, one and a half lines, but I know who she is. She has her qualities visually and, you know, like, uh, in her mannerisms when we see her describing Miss Trunchbull, and I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, I want Yeah, she got put into the chokey. Yes. Poor Hortensia. I'm, I'm like sitting here and I'm like, I want more of her. Like this, this is a rare occasion when I'm watching movies and I'm like, I actually want more. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. And I just want to know how old she was because she was so much older than all the other kids. Oh yeah. She, she did look like she was a, a few grades up, right? <laughs> yeah. I agree though. All the child actors were, were great. Yes. And she does come back. I think she's, she's one of the ones who throws uh, the, the food at, Trunchbull at the end, which is a great scene. All the kids, yeah, like, she's in the chocolate cake scene. She starts yeah. cheering. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, it's it's just like I, I love that. It's like the movie. Danny DeVito in the movie is tr- are tricking us into thinking this movie is like more fleshed out than it actually is, and that's what a, the sign of a great movie is. It's like you were in this universe, even though we've only been like we've literally dipped like part of a toe into it. You feel like you're totally immersed. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and I also really liked the groups of kids. Like in the first scene when they first show up at the sc- – when Matilda first shows mm-hmm. up at the school and there's just like 150 kids out front. That doesn't happen. Yeah. There's not just 150 kids randomly outside waiting for the principal to come in and launch <laughs> one of them by the pigtails. <laughs> That's not how it goes. And then they do it in the auditorium and they do it again at the end where they're throwing the food. They just get these huge groups of kids mm-hmm. doing things, this huge mob. And it's really well done. It's well shot and it's interesting. 
Oh yeah, and I it's all yeah. You're you're absolutely right in the way it's shot that you don't need to see kind of you're, you're not supposed to focus on anything you're just supposed to get the idea that all these kids are coming together for this thing whether it's for school on that first day like you said or at the end when they're all rising against trunchbull like with the strength and numbers things we, we talked about like it's just you get that sense and they're all there and maybe you can pick out you know those characters we've seen but you know that it's like they're this cohesive group and that's where it works like for kids that's what kids want to see you know and Little kids yeah. watching this movie, they they always daydream about like the kids rising up and, and taking the authority and things like that. And this movie just yep. gives them that, and it's it's oh, it's it's awesome. I still want that, even though I'm not in classes anymore. I would love <laughs> to like overrun the department or something like that. Be part of a mob that just <laughs> takes down some super Hulk lady. <laughs> yes, exactly. Make <laughs> her get back into her shitty car. <laughs> yes. Oh man! So speaking of um the kids, the, the kid he has no lines, but um and he's not even one of the main friends. But in the scene with the newt, where uh, Miss Trunchbull like gets it on her and she like knocks it off and it lands on the light f- light fixture. Oh yeah, yeah. The newt falls from the lights fixture and the kid catches it. Like we get the great shot. A little kitty like opens his hands. Yeah, that was a good shot. And he catches the newt. So that kid is Craig Lamar Taylor, who is probably only known for one thing. Many years later, he goes on to play Stevie in Malcolm in the Middle, the kid in the wheelchair. Did you ever see oh, Malcolm in the Middle? I've seen some of it. So, like, one of Malcolm's main friends is Stevie, and the kid in the wheelchair who, who like, talks like this. I am going. Like, like that's his <laughs> shtick, is that he, like, can't breathe, and, like, everything's really long and winded to get out of him. All right. You know what? That's it. I'm writing about you doing your movie. But my movie's about your paper. Yeah, I'm doing my paper about you doing your movie about me doing my paper. Fine. My movie's about you doing your paper about me doing my... All right, I get it. Movie... You. Hey guys. That this is his first movie role. <laughs> Holy, that's good stuff. Yes. Uh, for anybody, I don't think I've ever said it on Cinemodities. Malcolm in the Middle is a fantastic show. I love Malcolm in the Middle. Walter White, let's go. Yes, yes, and all the after like that's actually one of the reasons, or it might have been the reason I started watching Breaking Bad like before it aired ever, like before the pilot. I saw like an advertisement for it, and I'm like. Malcolm's dad is selling meth? I gotta see this. <laughs> there <laughs> if there's this... ever been a good casting, it's oh. been Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Because, I, like, especially after seeing Malcolm in the Middle and then seeing Walter White and Brian Cranston's role in, in Breaking Bad, it is, like, night and day. It really solidified how good of an actor he is. Oh, like, yeah. There so, was yeah. also the oh. other hilarious scene in Matilda where you, the newt reminded me of it when they're when before they catch the newt and she's got they're like out in the wild on some field trip presumably because I guess they do that and Lavender's got her her bug net and they go she goes oh my god it's a bug a bug and then, a bug a bug and, and then she goes what kind a bug a bug a bug a bug. That sort of dumb humor just gets me because that that dumb stuff actually happens a lot these days, but it didn't happen a lot back then. 
And that was the only time they just did something like, I don't know, so redundant as that. You know, <laughs> yeah. just the complete opposite of subtlety. Oh my God, a bug, a bug. What kind is it? A bug. Like, that's the kind of dumb shit you see all the time now. Yeah, oh, you're so absolutely good right. And yeah, this, this movie does it well. Yeah, I, I have to say, um, I know I said it on this podcast and I said it to you before, Justin, like, very rarely, like, I will find things very funny, but I won't, like, laugh at them when I'm by myself. This movie yeah. had me, like, actually laughing, like, by myself. Like, I, it was so much fun that I couldn't help but, like, giggle with glee for most of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I found it. I was looking for these other funny lines now that we're talking about that. With the FBI guys, when the, the parents leave the house and the two FBI dudes go into their garage, one of them says, shouldn't we have a search warrant to do this? And the other one goes, nah, this guy's dirty. <laughs> I know. That was so ridiculous. Yeah, I'm pretty sure also in that scene when they realize Matilda's there, one of the, the, the FBI agents see her and then they look at each other and one of, the, one of them goes, it's the female minor. Oh, and then and then when he's like, I'll film this. And he's like, I've been filming the whole time. Are you sure you can get it? And he's like, the lens, the, the the wide angle. And he goes into all the details about how to properly film. I don't remember them. Yeah, that, that was great, yeah. Shouldn't we have a search warrant to do this? Nah, this guy's dirty. Once we show this tape in court, Wormwood's goose is cooked. I'm sure that box is full of stolen car parts. You've been taping all week. How about letting me handle that camera for a while? You know how to use it? You know about the zoom and the white balance? You know how to adjust the eyepiece? I can handle it. Besides, it's my turn. Yeah, your turn to drop it. I won't drop it. Come on. You two men are gonna be in a lot of trouble very soon. It's the female minor. I yeah, he gets he he didn't get like too technical, but it, it's still yeah funny. yeah, and it's it's just like oh my god, I love. Well, it's yeah, another he, thing that no kid is gonna have any clue what they're talking about, but they just put it in there. That scene was actually gold. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's not too long after. Uh, oh, it's it's after Matilda, like, uh, well, I think that scene is as well, because she has her power. She's moving the box away from the FBI agents yep. and then and then moves the car down. But I think it's when she's leaving to go to Trunchbull's house. The parents are oblivious, but the brother's like, where are you going? And she goes out, and the brother throws a carrot at her, or, and then he, like, oh, yeah. she flips it back and puts it in his mouth, and he starts, like, coughing. And Danny DeVito, it's a voiceover, like, you don't see Danny DeVito say it. But, like, you just imagine the, the setting is that the kid's in the kitchen right behind them watching TV, and the, the son starts coughing, and you hear Danny DeVito say, Chew your food, you're an animal! And that <laughs> that got me cracking up. I was just like, that's how little he gives a fuck about what's going on. And this kid starts choking, and he's just like, Chew your food! <laughs> yeah. Have a carrot! And he doesn't even notice Matilda's leaving. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, that's even before we didn't mention when, um, like, Danny DeVito goes into her room at one point and there's a bunch of books. And he's like, where'd you get all these books? And she goes, the library. And he goes, you've never set foot inside a library. And she's been <laughs> going for like four years. <laughs> yeah, and he has no clue how old she is. Oh, 
how could I almost forget that? That might be the funniest line from the mother. When Danny DeVito and Ed Kilder are arguing, it's like, you're four, six and a half, four, six and a half. Takes her into the room. How old is Matilda? Four. I'm six and a half. Okay, five then. Yep. <laughs> like she's trying to haggle her age. Here's Pi. How old is Matilda? Four. I'm six and a half, Mommy. Five then. I was six in August. You're a liar. <laughs> Fucking golden. <laughs> and then the whole idea of Ms. why Miss Trunchbull can get away with what she does is because the parents will never believe it. And then when she keeps them all late and Matilda goes home and Danny DeVito's like, where have you been? School. You know, Miss Trunchbull this made this kid eat cake and she just unloads the whole thing and Danny DeVito's like, please, that would never yeah. happen. I, I guess I guess we have to discuss. The whole dynamic dis- is amazing. We have to discuss because we, we only mention it by name. The concept of the fucking chokey. Oh, my God. I, that, that shit was, scared me. Like, these kids are yes. about to get a nail through the heart, dude. Dude, that was one of the things. When, before I watched, rewatched this movie, I was trying to, like, remember or trying to pull up the things I remembered about it. And I definitely remembered the concept of the chokey. I didn't remember the name. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, doesn't the principal, like, put kids in basically, like, a spiked tomb? Like, you ever see those, like, coffins and there's just spikes inside? Like, that's what I remembered it as? Yep. And I'm like, no, it couldn't have been that bad. And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, holy shit, it is that bad. Like, there are nails sticking out of this thing. Like, it looks like a um, like a magician's casket or something that they would pretend to go in and disappear from. But it's actually a straight-up torture device. And they've got the leaky pipe and everything. It is horrific. <laughs> For real. And and that uh, you you reminded me of it when you said you know like no parents believe that this is happening to their kids, and I yep. think that is one of the things that this movie does really well. You know, it being geared towards children, like we said, you have Matilda who's you know not treated well, but she gets powers. So you got that like surrogate of the kids in the audience being like, yeah, you know, the the anything is possible, right? Anything. But at the same time. I think it's going to, like, th- there had to be for some kids, like, it's going to hit home where, you know, they tell their parents these stories and the parents are like, oh, yeah, you know, that's nice, blah, blah, blah. And and the kids have to feel that they are not being listened to. And I think that that's another layer to this movie that it works so well for children where it's like, you know, it's like, yes, it's like sometimes the kids are not making shit up. They're not being, like, these crazy overactive imaginations and their parents are just writing them off when they shouldn't be writing them off. And this movie with the chokey just, you know, embellishes that, like we were saying before, to make that point. And it's, it's great. Even to the extent where, you know, I think Miss Honey could go to the parents, like, not Matilda's parents, they don't care. But, like, imagine, like, a, if we see Lavender's parents and they're good parents, you know, good, whatever that means. Miss Honey could be like, yo, there's, like, a spiked tomb that your kid got put in would the parents be like oh you crazy teacher (laughs) yeah or go to the cops yes yes but i think you know that that uh, we can't do that because this movie is so fantastical that we we if we go too much into the reality of it then it's going to fall apart that would be a very interesting idea if if this movie had like a, a realistic aspect to it not that it not oh, grounded. I mean, the FBI thing is very grounded with the car parts, but but that's all to the adults. It's like the kids are just ignored for the most part. Right. Well, and I do like that they put that little bit in to actually answer the question of how could Miss Trunchbull get away with this? And it's like, well, all the parents are just too oblivious. 
yes. or won't believe it. And that works for a kid's movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it hits that hits that level of, you know, they're the these kids that are feeling that they're not listened to yep. to some extent. And that it's just it's perfect. I mean, I, I, I like that from kids' movies because I think that, you know, kids kids need that kind of outlet or you know that fantasy for movies or stories or whatever to like live out those things and i think the mm-hmm. last time we discussed a kids thing was at very close to the start of this podcast we discussed two episodes of uh sophia the first a disney channel animated show about sophia the princess you ever see it justin no it's a pretty good show just so you know okay it's on netflix so check it out <laughs> Sure. But I I had that same argument when we discussed that, that, you know, there's this, there's one of the episodes we talked about was where, um, like the, the message, not the moral or not the main message, but there was a facet of the episode where it was like, you you need to have your own autonomy. Like there was a, a character that like didn't listen to their parents. And I'm like, yes, I'm like, that's. That's good. I mean, like, we shouldn't hit oh, hit kids over the head where it's like, you know, fuck your parents, never listen to them. But we should instill in children that there is – they do have some sense of agency in their lives. And I think – like, yes. I love that in this movie and, and kids' media where it gives kids that outlet for sure. Yep. You're in a terrible position, but there's something you can do about it. Yes. Develop superpowers and traumatize the principal. <laughs> Come on, kids. Get your superpowers going. Get it together. Be a genius. That That's another thing I was thinking. Like, how many kids – I was trying to remember if I did this, and I'm sure I did because I was a stupid kid just like everybody was a stupid kid. But I, I would love to see some statistic or survey that asks kids, like – if you saw Matilda or any movie of this ilk where, like, a main character had powers, did you try and develop powers? Like, I am – like I said, I don't remember Oh, I did. Uh, yeah. But from Dragon Ball Z, dude. <laughs> I went hard Dragon Ball Z trying was, to Kamehameha wave that, and shit. I like that because that's different from where I was going. I was going to say, like, how many kids after they saw <laughs> Matilda just, like, started staring at their Cheerios to see if they could make the move. <laughs> But you're right. There's other stuff where you had the, like trying to focus your energy from those types of things and trying to maybe like read minds and stuff like that. And yeah, that's, that's good fun. You know, I would love to to see some or pick some people's brains about like, did you do that? Like, what movie or story made you do that? Because that's all well, dude. Fun. I tried to do that shit too, though. Like after seeing Star Wars, I tried to use the Force and move stuff. And I remember example. thinking as a kid, I was like. Well, if I'm too lazy to get up and grab this thing across the room, how is using the force going to be easier? (laughs) (laughs) No joke had that thought. thought. (laughs) Could you imagine? I still try though. If you were a kid and you were like, you're like, okay, I can either go across the room and pick up the TV remote, or I can expend an extreme amount of energy to float it to me. I like that. I like no. The, the, I didn't even think of the Star Wars example. That's a great example. That would probably be the one. Like if this was a Family Feud question, like you know, top five answers as a child. What movie made you want or try to use superpowers? I think Star Wars would be the number one for a oh, lot yeah. of people. Not even kids, just like adults, like the people who watched Star Wars when it was in theaters. I'm sure there's some like you know, thirty year olds back then who were like you know, okay, I can do it. I'm a Jedi. <laughs> I'm a Jedi. <laughs> That is the example for sure. And then uh, we had Matilda. Oh, God. Yeah, this movie's so, man, so goddamn amazing. <laughs> Good stuff. So I think just a, a few other quick facts that I had about this movie that, that stood out to me and some I had to look up uh, afterwards. Oh, oh, so I think just a, like a, a recap of this movie. Um, I know that Justin hasn't seen the Danny DeVito movies that 
precede this, but, you know, we have the ratings game, Throw Mama from the Train, um, The War of the Roses, and Hoffa. Those all have some level of cynicism. I would say Hoffa has the least of all those four that I mentioned because it is so objective. But, you know, uh, the ratings game is about conniving or beating the system. Uh, the Throw Mama from the Train is about murder and, and, sh- and swapping murders to remove motive and stuff like that. The War of the Roses is... The, the message of that movie is that uh, a civilized divorce is a contradictory term. And then this movie... I don't think there is any cynicism in this movie. Like I was saying earlier, this has a very happy ending, like everything works out, and maybe bad things happen, and adults can be scary, like those rules said, but overall... And be complete assholes and hate their children from birth. Yes, but... That's kind of cynical, dude. I, I, I think it is cynical in just the context of saying that. I think in the context of the movie, it is not cynical, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think... Like, if we just say, like, yes, like, some parents hate their kids and treat them poorly, that is a cynical uh, view on parenthood. I think that this movie sets it up as just fact. I think I don't think this movie is trying to say something about the state of humanity. I think it's just dropping us in that, in that universe, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, and I guess something really cynical wouldn't have Matilda being so happy despite it all. Like, mm-hmm. dude, she is just takes it like a champ nobody could handle that shit as well as matilda yes and i I think this movie like it it has opportunities to be cynical and it doesn't take them like at the end you know it almost just makes a joke instead exactly like if, if if matilda left with her parents and went to guam at the end then that would be cynical it would be like oh matilda went through this whole journey and almost got to the end and it's like nope like your parents are there to pull you away from it. You don't have that agency, no matter how long you thought you did. Yeah. And and like if Miss Honey didn't get her house back and become principal, I think that same idea. But this movie knows it needs to be optimistic. And like we said earlier, it even lets the parents get away. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even though they're going to a U.S. territory, we the movie yeah. sets it up that they're getting away. Miss Trunchbull gets her comeuppance, which you know benefits Miss Honey. Just because Trunchbull's gone, all the other kids are, you know, explicitly happier. So that is a win for them. Like, there is no sad ending for any of our good characters. Like, the characters that have bad endings are the ones, or or neutral endings like the parents, are the ones that deserve them and the movie's set up to do so. Yep. I love it. I love it. This This is a very interesting thing because... Like I said, you know, watching these Danny DeVito movies in, in order chronologically and seeing this just like deep, deep cynicism and pessimism in all of his movies up to this point, this is a complete <laughs> 180 and how he can do it so well. And I know that's an issue I've had with, with some writers and directors when they try and do something new. It's like, no, they still, they still got that twinge in there that doesn't really fit with that motif. But it, I'm just shocked and and pleasantly shocked that Danny DeVito can do this 180 and it's just like bam like he he can pull off these dark cynical movies like the end of the war of the roses they kill each other to everybody's happy at the end of Matilda and they're both phenomenal <laughs> mm-hmm. oh I love it I love it okay now some other little uh little tidbits that I found uh, at the end of the movie uh when Matilda and Miss Honey are just like at her house and they're having tea or whatever and cookies um, which also is a great little bit when they, the mother goes to pick her up. She dumps all the cookies in her purse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, come on, we're going. We're going to take all these cookies. <laughs> <laughs> 
But in in the setup for that scene, um, Matilda says something to Miss Honey about the how fast a mice's heart rate is in beats per minute. Did you know that the heart of a mouse beats the rate of 650 times a minute? Why? Where'd you learn that? In a book. It beats so fast it doesn't sound like it's beating at all. It sounds like it's humming. That right. is that is an exact line and scene from The Witches, another Roald Dahl book. Like one of the characters talks about the um the, the heart rate of a mice because characters in that movie get turned into mice by The Witches. Okay. Yeah, so it was a little a little Roald Dahl, another little Roald Dahl touch in there. A little um, tribute. Yeah. The uh when I was watching the credits cuz Whenever I watch a movie these days, I actually do sit through the whole credits uh, to see if I pick up anything, and I'm glad I did for this one. Deep Roy is listed as one of the stunt people. And oh, I was hoping you were going to say Brad Pitt. <laughs> that would, I don't know who he would have done stunts for. Oh, my God, no. that Now I'm thinking it would be hilarious. Brad Pitt as the stunt double for Danny DeVito. <laughs> hey, if, twi- if they could pull off twins, they could pull that off. Yes. <laughs> But so so deep deep Roy is a, a very famous actor. He's he's an, more of an actor now. Um, he was a stunt person for forever for children because he is a little person. And I'm trying to think if where you would know him from, Justin. Did you ever see Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where Johnny Depp is Tim Burton? I mean, yes, jo- Johnny Depp is Tim Burton. Johnny, Johnny Depp, <laughs> yeah, is so so Willy the. Wonka. Sure. That's that's Deep Roy, and um, I don't think I was in my right mind when I saw that movie. Okay. Going to be that honest, is not, a, not a great movie. Uh, but Deep Roy is in that movie, and the, there's actually a really interesting story about how it's like they didn't really do like they did some CGI to make him appear as every Oompa Loompa, but they did a lot of composite shots. So if like if you see a scene yep. in that movie where there's like a hundred Oompa Loompas standing in a row, like on a uh, like on like a cliff or something in like the chocolate river room. They shot it a hundred times. Yeah, they were like you stand here, we get the shot of you doing this dance. Move over, do the same dance. And he he made like bank. Deep Roy made bank for that fucking movie. Damn. Story. Um, Imagine having to do that a hundred times. Oh yeah. Jeez. Oh yeah. And uh, did you ever see Big Fish with Ewan McGregor? No, it's on my to do list. That is that should definitely be on your to-do list. That is one of the greatest movies of all time. Deep Roy is Mr. Soggy Bottom, who's actually Danny DeVito plays a character in that movie, and Deep Roy is his right-hand man. Danny DeVito's a werewolf in that movie. It's great. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Everybody should see Big Fish. That is a phenomenal movie. But other than that, I don't know where you know Deep Roy from. Um, he has a really funny part in, I think, the third season? Second or third season of Eastbound and Down, the Danny McBride show. Like, there's this scene where, like, Deep Roy, Danny McBride, like, rips his mustache off because he knows it's a fake mustache. And Deep Roy pulls out another fake mustache from his pocket. And he's like, (laughs) always come prepared with mustaches. And it's hilarious. (laughs) Well, I haven't seen any fucking gold around here. Follow the yellow brick road. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'll find the Ewok village you came from. You got it wrong, buddy. I'm Yoda. Now, why don't you two charlatans just get the hell out of here before I rip that fake mustache off your face? <laughs> I always carry two. Always. Vamos, actor, vamos. I'm the king. Of what, I'm motherfucker? Of mustaches? Oh, gosh. Um, but, of course, uh, for Cinemodities listeners, I don't think we mentioned it on the episode, but years ago, we covered Freaked 
which I still to this day consider the funniest movie of all time, uh, Deep Roy is the stunt person for Stewie Gluck. So in that whole montage where Stewie Gluck is being thrown through plate glass windows, Deep Roy is his stunt person. So Deep Roy is actually who we're getting see, to see thrown through glass windows. <laughs> so what did he do in Matilda? Was he like the boy that got tossed out the window or something? Yes, I, I would imagine he did a lot of the stunts. Um, so there are a few shots. Well, how many were there? Well, well, so whenever you see kids' faces, so I think, you know, the scene with like the little girl with the pigtails sliding across the the flower field like that's just practical they have her on like a like on a rig that's pulling her through it but in, right, in right. Like directly prior to that when she like when trunchbull like lifts up the kid and like throws her i'm sure that's deep roy like in costume um, oh it's the little girl as yeah yeah he's like if, if you don't see their face you know you could dress them up as any way you need to and and cover skin and, and as long as he's got the similar body sure. type. sure um the scene that definitely stood out to me is at the end when trunchbull like rams through the door and she's going to crash into lavender and matilda like lifts lavender up there there are a few shots from the ground where you just see lavender's arms hanging on the pipe i would bet you that's deep roy like they they have they have a person hanging on there and then whenever they show lavender hang on there they cut off the feet so you don't see that she's like standing she's just standing on the yeah 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 so and, and then there's probably others that uh, they had to do for, you know, who knows, uh, child actor law reasons where they needed um, a stunt sure. person to, to be in certain positions and stuff like that. But I, I saw Deep Roy on there and I was like, fantastic. And it is kind of a bummer because I love Deep Roy as an actor and as a stunt person. Uh, it's a bummer that the the best thing you can do as a stunt person is not be recognized, right? Right. And right. so that's the that's like the mark of a good stunt person is that you don't know when he's on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I had to give a shout out to Deep Roy. He should be in more stuff. He will always be Mr. Soggy Bottom to me from uh, Big Fish. He's great in that. <laughs> I think the last two things uh, I was reading apparently the role of Miss Honey. Mariska Hargitay turned it down. Mariska Hargitay, everybody should know as uh, Olivia Benson from Law and Order SVU, which I know Justin watches every day, like me. I've seen some SVU, but I cannot imagine Mariska Hargitay as this this happy teacher lady. Like after seeing her, you know, s- scream at me about rape for probably a year in real time. From all I've watched of SVU, I don't know if I could ever appreciate her as as you know the Miss Honey character. M. Beth Davids does it perfectly fine. She's great. And then uh, one of the of the two cars the Wormwoods have, uh, Matilda's parents have, one of them is a LeBaron. So oh, I want to ask you, uh, LeBaron? A Chrysler LeBaron? Okay. Uh, where would you know a LeBaron? Because, okay, I'm going to make the reference that you're not going to understand, and probably your audience will understand. But my question for you, Justin, is uh, where's your LeBaron, Freddy? I don't see two LeBarons. I only see one LeBaron, Freddy. It's yours. Hop in. Oh. Come on, you're driving. It's a, it's a LeBaron. You bet your boots. It's a LeBaron. Good car. Convertible. Jeez, a convertible. This says number one son in the license plate. That's me. I'm the number one son. What about me, Mom? You're number one son, too. But how come Gord gets a LeBaron and I don't? It's because they love me more than they love you. No, 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 they don't. Oh, yeah, I only see one LeBaron, Freddy. I only see one. I don't see two LeBarons. Gordy. Well, do you see two LeBarons? Gordy. Hey. Do you see two LeBarons? Gordy. Knock it off. Where's your LeBaron, Freddy? Where's your LeBaron? Boys. Boys. How many LeBarons? Are there two LeBarons? Hey. No, Shut up! Hey. Okay. 
I think you would probably know a LeBaron. You know that cake song? She's got a short skirt and a long jacket. Yeah, yeah. Like yep, yep. she's changing her name from Kitty to Karen. She's driving oh, yeah. away in a Chrysler LeBaron. And she wants a car with a cup holder armrest. She wants a car that will get her there. She's changing her name from Kitty to Karen. She's trading her MG for a white Chrysler LeBaron. I want a girl with a short skirt and a Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. And so the reference I made is that at the beginning of the movie, Freddy Got Fingered, also one of the funniest movies of all time, Gordy is going off to get a job and his parents give him a LeBaron and he's like yelling it. He's like making fun of his brother. He's like, where's your LeBaron, Freddy? I don't see two LeBarons. I only see one LeBaron, Freddy. And then it's, it's a great movie. Another thing everybody needs to see. Like, that's a good reference. I really like that cake song. That is a that is a good cake. But song. that's a really out there reference for you to come up with. That's that's my whole shtick on this podcast, Justin. These crazy <laughs> references that like hopefully one of our like three listeners will understand. <laughs> All that out of the way, I, I know we have a lot more to do. Was there any final comments or thoughts you had on Matilda, Justin, before we get to our questions? No, dude, we covered it. All right. I thought the movie was great, and I really enjoyed watching it again. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I remember when I like texted you the list of stuff coming up on Cinemodities, I was like, why am I even giving Justin the option? I should just be like, Justin, we're doing Matilda, and you would have been like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pass that up. Okay, so that brings us to, let's start with Cinemodities and Late Night. I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody from either of us. I think that this is an absolute Cinemodity. It's a tad dark, even though it's a kid's movie. It's got the goofiness, but it's not overplayed. The embellishment all works. And like I said, I think even if I didn't enjoy this movie, which I can't even fathom not enjoying this movie, this being the most well-balanced whole family movie I've ever seen, that, that does wonders. That makes it an oddity in my mind for sure. So definite cinemodity and late night, of course, I would show this to so many people. Like, this is actually a late-night movie that I would actually put near the top of the list where somebody's like, yo, what movie should we watch? I'm going to be like, Matilda. Do you remember that? Have you seen it? It's going to lead to so much, like, laughs, so much good conversation. It fits the bill perfectly. So I'm going yes to both. What about you? I got to disagree on Cinemodity. Oh, God. Oh, God, Justin. I thought the movie was great, but I don't get, like, just an oddity. I don't really? get oddity from this movie. I think cinematic. I think something really out there and crazy, wacky. That's fair. Y- you know, I, we we put that Mulholland Drive. Like, dude, this is in a completely <laughs> different realm of existence than Mulholland Drive. That is so fair. So, so there are no steadfast rules on what a cinematic is. It is up to each person. So, I'll give you that. Um, but yeah, it doesn't do it for me as an oddity. But when great, you... excellent, fantastic. Sure, I'm just not oddity. The girl gets thrown and she skids through flowers. And it's just like that. That sold me on cinemodity, man. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but I, I, it doesn't do cinemodity for me. Fair doesn't fair. doesn't doesn't raise it to that level. Okay, and so now you're also going to disagree with me on late night, and you're going to say I hate you. No one should ever watch this. <laughs> Yeah, don't watch Matilda. Don't waste your time. You've it's heard our, enough from the podcast. It's our movie. Don't watch Just it. Just play the podcast for your friends. Don't play the movie. 
No, I definitely think it's a late night movie. But I've told you before, I don't know what isn't a late night movie. Yes. I watch all movies at night. Like that's the only time I watch movies. Would I watch my <laughs> movies at night? <laughs> well, with that out of the way, the the moment everybody's been waiting for us since we set it up at the start of this episode. We're talking about snacks. We're talking about the restaurant. And while yes, I do have some snacks and things for the restaurant related to this movie, we have to update our fans and our customers and our shareholder no i don't think we have shareholders i guess the closest thing to shareholders we have are the people that are trapped in the restaurant and needed to succeed so they can survive <laughs> we have been going through some litigation and just to recap last time justin was on here uh or maybe two times ago two sometime, times ago uh we had gotten maximo on board and he told us that he was going to help us stomp out the competition of the infinite vortex, time vortex, void, whatever they were, restaurants that are infringing on our intellectual property. And I think the the quick recap of the ones that we have to talk about today, remember that there was a restaurant that we had to sue uh, called Modern Toilets, and also there was one uh, called Sign Modities, so S-I-N-E Modities. My favorite. So these are going to come up, so yeah, Cinemodities with an S, Sign Modities. So... Uh, we, we gave him the go-ahead. Uh, you know, we, we, we have him on board. We uh, haven't needed him to do any fraudulent, fraudulent things with documents because one of the other things he does is whenever we have to birth an employee out of a bad employee, uh, he's going to come up with the death certificates and the birth certificates. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet. You know, just, the, just the, the scaring our employees into knowing that we can, you know, basically impregnate them with a better employee. That's had everyone on their best behavior. So... He's turned to the litigation side, and he gave us an update, like I said at the start of this episode, and we're going we're gonna to read that, and then we're going to have some pictures to discuss as well. I think the other thing to mention is uh, when we left it, Ben, Justin, and I were confused about the idea of when he was saying modern toilets, was it a real restaurant, or was he saying that actual modern toilets were infringing on our intellectual <laughs> So he starts by saying... Modern Toilets is a real restaurant. So we got an answer to that. And since you accepted my offer, I And when Rob means real, he actually means real right here. Oh, yes. This shit's real. Because <laughs> when you say real, email. I don't think anyone believes you anymore, Rob. So I need to confirm Fair. that it's actually real. I, I approve of that, that clarification. <laughs> because we wouldn't get to it till the end of the email. Maximo did include legitimate pictures of this restaurant which serves food in like mini toilets in japan yes so if if you google modern toilets uh, i'm sure you will find these same similar pictures and apparently this exists and apparently they are in a time vortex infinite void and they're stealing our customers even though they're all the way over in japan <laughs> which leads me to wonder how the hell Maximo is tracking modern toilets? That's a good question, but I think since he is doing it as our employee, I, I don't want to question his methods because he's doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Don't look a gift horse in the yes. mouth. It's like you don't want to know how the PI got that information. You just want him to get the information. <laughs> so uh, he said, uh, since you accepted my offer, I sued the shit out of them. Great joke, <laughs> Maximo. Great fucking joke that he sued the shit out of modern toilets. That's amazing. Uh, he goes on to say, and they sent assassins to my house, 
Good thing my Alexa activated the intruder alert protocol, which brings out my Roomba with a gun taped to it, so that was taken care of. I, I kind of am speechless because I love... I've seen Roombas with things attached to them. I think I've seen them with knives attached to them. I'm just imagining a gun and how the Roomba could fire the gun, but... The imagery it's amazing. Is, is, is amazing. So just, even though I've read, what, one sentence that he's written for us, this is the stage so far. He sued the shit out of modern toilets, so they sent assassins to his house, but the Roomba, with a gun tape to it, took care of the assassins. Okay, I, th- I think we're all on the same page now, if that's even possible. Uh, he then goes on to say, but then, when I tried to sue them again, they sent me this. So before we talk about the picture, somehow, the sending of assassins, I don't know, n- null and voided the original lawsuit? <laughs> like, he needed to sue them again? Or maybe he was suing them for the assassins, and now there's two lawsuits on the books? Oh. I don't know, but Maximo, more litigation, the better. I think that's that should be Agreed. another, another Cinemodity's uh, motto. The more litigation, the better. <laughs> so we do have two pictures to discuss in this email. And uh, I do want to, I want to discuss the lawsuit one. You can say no, Justin, if you do not want to describe the, the picture that Modern Toilets sent Maximo. But No, I'm to, all over okay, it. Okay, okay. So please enlighten our listeners that when he sued them again, they sent us an, an image. That was their retort to a lawsuit they sent an image and what is this image of justin okay y'all you gotta really use your imaginations here first this uh, i have to say this might be the reason i actually start a cinema to these instagram just to share the pictures maximo keeps sending us i was just thinking how you need to put like you know a feed of this so people can just see it you can show the emails you can show the kangaroo boxing dude come on yes i, I am uh, this this new all these new people in cinematics are really tempting me to find a way to share these pictures with our three to four listeners <laughs> <laughs> but okay okay please, please all right go ahead, so it's a cartoon toilet right where the the seats facing us you know mm-hmm. dead on looking at this toilet and the the back of the toilet's got eyes colored in red. I mean, it looks like they were straight Microsoft Paint spray painted. <laughs> There's a smiley face on this thing with a cigar. And the toilet's got two middle fingers it's throwing at the reader. Okay? Yes. Now, the cigar's got smoke coming off of it. And I'm assuming that all of the gray shit is smoke, but I'm going to be honest. It doesn't all look like it's coming from the cigar, but if I try hard, I, I can follow it. The bottom of the toilet seat has got brown shit coming out of it in the most artistic way you could ever imagine. And it says also in brown, fuck you, Cinemodities. That was fantastic. So so yes, they Modern Toilets sent us a picture of a toilet giving us two middle fingers saying, fuck you, Cinemodities. The thing I have to ask you, Justin, do you think that instead of a cigar, indicated by the red eyes, this toilet is smoking a blunt? Maybe he's smoking just a turd. (laughs) (laughs) So the red eyes definitely make me think this toilet is stoned. Okay, all right. I, I guess I could see it smoking a big piece of shit as well. Why is the cherry on the smoking instrument orange that's and not good, red that's a good point it could be corn it could be <laughs> <laughs> oh god 
<laughs> we don't we don't do toilet humor a lot on cinemodities or <laughs> ever, but we can avoid uh, it this time. <laughs> oh god. So yes, we we got this this very vulgar retort uh, from modern toilets, and and then in the the second picture of the email, uh, Maximo says, "So yeah, here is the lawsuit," and and he sent us an image that I, I imagine is the, the cover page of the lawsuit because lawsuits I, I think are, you know, stacks of paper, but the, like the cover page, the executive summary, whatever you want to call it, the title of it is lawsuit. <laughs> of course. I mean, what else would it be? Cause it is a lawsuit. So in the, in the top left header, it says from Maximo at cinemodities.corp. Perfect. On the top right header, lawsuit for one centillion dollars. This this would definitely help out the restaurant. I had to look up what a centillion was. Do you know off the top of your head what a centillion is, Justin? It's more than a trillion. It's definitely more than a trillion. It was not what I expected when I Googled it. According to when I looked around, in the United States, a centillion is oh. 10 to the 303rd power. That's a big one. It's so, so, that's so weird. 303 zeros? Like, that's so obscure. Yeah. But it's a lot of money, so I like it. Well, it's like, what comes two before a centillion? What's one with 300 zeros? Uh, that's a that's a good, so 10 to the 300, does that have a name? Wait, this is really weird. On Wikipedia, they go from 10 to the 57, 10 to the 60, 10 to the 63, and then 10 to the 303. <laughs> they skipped everything in between. <laughs> What the fuck? I kind of I like that. <laughs> Those are the standard dictionary numbers. They're going up in threes from like 12. 10 to the 12, a trillion. They're going up in threes all the way up to 63. And then they just jump to 10 to the 303. <laughs> so I, I, hope, I hope, I don't know how Maximo does his, his lawyer duties or litigation duties, but I hope that when he was forming this lawsuit, he just he went to the same Wikipedia page we're looking at and found the biggest number on there. I would bet. That's, That's how this did. happened. So <laughs> if we win this lawsuit, we're going to be centillionaires, which sounds awesome. God damn. But so so it's a it's from Cinemodities uh, lawsuit for one centillion dollars. It is aimed at modern toilets. And then here we go. Here's the meat of the lawsuit. Cause. They are really shitty, and they copied Cinemodities. I hate them because they serve people in literal toilets, which I think is a really shitty thing to do. Comma. That's the first punctuation so far. (laughs) Plus, their food tastes like something you would flush down the toilet. And don't even get me started on the service. Comma. It is really crappy. (laughs) Period. So, yeah, I hate them. They are just shit. And then, in parentheses... Plus, they sent some really crappy assassins to my house who were so shit my Roomba killed them. <laughs> this, the use of crappy and shit is on point. It's, it's so obvious. Agreed. With the modern toilets, it's beautiful. But we also, in this picture, have an, an image within this image we have. What looks like two stick figures. One with a gun. One, is that, oh, that is what that is. <laughs> I was like, I was about to say one so one stick figure, the head is the Cinemodities base logo, the, the VHS thing that everybody knows and loves. And I was going to say that stick figure has a messed up arm, but you are right. That does look like a gun now that you say it. 
Like, I could not see that before. But there's also an American flag and a bald eagle behind this character. And the Constitution, brother. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, it's the most American picture you can imagine. Because, of course, when you think of Cinemodities, the podcast or the restaurant, you think of America. Patriots. <laughs> Absolute and, patriots. And, okay, going with this, this, this is a gun, which I like now. It is apparently has shot the modern toilet stick figure, and there is this, like, little bullet hole, and there looks to be some blood coming out, but this character, it's backgrounded by the Japanese flag and an anime character. I'm sorry, <laughs> Maximo, I do not know what that character is from. <laughs> Justin, do you, do you know no. that character? Okay. <laughs> I thought for, like, three seconds, and I was like, nah, I got nothing. Maybe that's something Maximo can tell us when this episode drops, where that character is from. Because usually I would do the good old thing of, you know, taking the image and doing a Google image search, you know, like a reverse lookup. I would bet you any god, I would bet you a centillion dollars, Justin, that if I put this entire image into Google, there would be no results. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to do some like cropping or something. Serious work. Yes, but I'm doing a quick Google search on female anime characters, see if oh I can get god, anything. It's gonna give you so many results, Justin. <laughs> There's a lot, and <laughs> they all kind of look the same. <laughs> oh, yeah, so we, we will need to know from Maximo because, of course, as we've mentioned earlier, we have some pictures of modern toilets, and they do not have this character in them. So, yeah, we, we don't know, but we like it. We, we're not saying it's a bad thing. These pictures, just to make sure the audience is aware, these pictures of the, the American eagle and the flag and all that stuff, and then this Japan flag with the anime girl, these are on the cover page of the lawsuit. You know, don't misconstrue. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Part of the, yes, part of the lawsuit, 10 out of 10. Maximo is earning his paycheck. And <laughs> if we win this one centillion dollars, he's going to get a good chunk of that, I'm sure. So, at least course, $10. <laughs> at least 10 to the 1 <laughs> of that 10 to the 303. <sighs> so, after this lawsuit, he goes on to finish the email by saying, I was really nice in that lawsuit and did not definitely use any profanity, so I don't know why they would give me such an improper <laughs> response. Fantastic wording from Maximo. He says, N and did not definitely use. He doesn't say definitely did not use. He says did not definitely use. Very subtle, but very important. This is why he's a lawyer for the restaurant. He knows that the order of words matters. And then, of course, he says, I will try to sue Signmodities next. <laughs> Perfect. I, can't, I cannot wait to see what that lawsuit's going to entail. And I, it's just the, the never-ending litigation of the restaurant is just now in full force. So, so Justin, since— I'm excited for the Signmodities. Right on. So you know I'm pumped. That's what I was going to ask you. If, you. if you were into this and excited, I think he's, he's, doing, he's earning his paycheck, like we said. He's—, he's Doing things right by the restaurant, and uh, I'm just you imagining Zach, you know, answering his questions and and you know giving Maximo info and talking to him because he's our lawyer. Zach is just pulling his hair out and constantly thinking to himself, "God damn, this is all Rob nonsense." <laughs> <laughs> you did the right thing by bringing him on. Oh yeah, so great stuff. Thank you, Maximo. The restaurant litigation is going well. We will update that as it comes in. So with that being said, now we can talk about our restaurant and the snacks. I had a few. I think one that I want to start off, it comes up with something in the movie that we did not mention before. The show that are, one of the shows that the parents are watching on TV is oh the my God. Dollar Sticky. 
Who was the actor that was hosting that? I'm glad you asked. It is the great John Lovitz. Oh, my God. I love John Lovitz in, like, everything I've ever seen him in. I think he's fantastic. Very funny dude. Um, he's uncredited in this role, so he's not in the credits. He has this little cameo. But the concept of the million-dollar sticky is that you basically, like, get covered in sticky, like, glue or sticky goop. And then what you get in one of those, like, wind tunnel cases... And, like, whatever sticks to you, you get to keep, right? Correct. So my thought and was... And that people are laughing maniacally the whole time. Oh, yeah. And we do get a really good... Uh, the, when they're watching it, there's a voiceover of, like, somebody talking about the game show while they're, like, rubbing the glue or whatever on the person, on the contestant. And the voiceover says, like, that the show is not responsible for any skin irritation that the contestants might experience (laughs) because of literally being rubbed their whole body down with adhesive. (laughs) are not liable for any skin irritation. May result from playing our game. Get real sticky and get cash for free. All right, that's enough. Let's get sticky! So my thought was we add the million-dollar sticky to the restaurant, but the people who compete in it the things that they're catching with their body are getting stuck to their body. They're coupons for the restaurant. And as we all know, coupons for the restaurant make things more expensive. And, <laughs> and counterfeit money. Nice. <laughs> Maximo's definitely going to have to help out with keeping the counterfeit money under uh, the production under wraps. I'm just, I, I love this idea because I'm thinking of all the people who have been stuck in the restaurant and they spent all the money they have on surviving in the restaurant. This is going to be like they're going to see it as the way for them to make some money. And then they're going to go and they're going to do the million-dollar sticky. And they're going to try and spend the counterfeit money at our restaurant. And we're not going to serve them because we know it's counterfeit. (laughs) They're going to get the most expensive shit because they think they've got all the money. And then you don't accept it. Then you can keep them as just workers. They're going to go so far into debt into the restaurant because it's like – us manufacturing their debt. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I love it. I love it. So another thing that I don't know, it's not, a, it's not a snack. It's kind of another event. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, Justin, but I think it's every Sunday we host seance modities. So we host a seance oh. at the restaurant. And okay. the idea is that we pitch people who are dead that we would want to contact during a seance modities. And we haven't had one in a while, I think for the list of people to contact on Seance Modities, we're going to add Roald Dahl, and we're going to ask him what he thinks of this movie. All right, that's pretty good, yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I want to know. Be like, what does he think? Does he think it's like a, a bastardization of his work, or does he approve of it? And uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting. But we haven't had a, a dead person to contact in a while, so I figured we'd throw it on there. That's good. That's good. Okay. I have a few others, but i gotta, I got to throw it over to you. What, what snacks did you come up with, if any? Okay. All right. So... You know how you can get like chocolates and they'll have like caramel or like the um oh, oh, oh I got this or like a Cadbury egg, right? And they got like sure. the white cream inside. Those are really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you're going to have a Crunchum egg, right? Like Crunchum Hall. Okay. And it's going to be exactly like a Cadbury egg, you know, Easter egg, the whole nine. But instead of that white creamy shit, super, super glue. Mm. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I thought you were going to say there's a newt inside of it, but the super a glue newt. is perfect. Oh, oh. I'm just imagining super, someone, super glue. someone biting into it and then just being like immediately realizing something is wrong, <laughs> but having zero time to correct it. <laughs> <laughs> 
because once you've bitten into the super super glue, you're done. You're done. <laughs> I was gonna do something with chocolate cake, but I was like, no, we're going with the actual chocolates, Dude, and they I gotta come that. in like that little holder, you know? Holder like uh like an egg holder? No, like the one that was in Mitch Trunchbull's house. Oh, oh, that little like um that little like uh, box type of that fancy yeah, the, with like the, the legs and stuff. Yep. Yep. There's probably a name for that, but I don't know what it is. But okay, no, I, I dig that. Like it's a very fancy looking container, like a like a mini chest or God, right. it, it looks like I guess there's got to be a name for it. But I guess the closest thing would be like a jewelry box, I guess. Yeah, like and, a wooden wooden box. Yeah, and and you order this for dessert, and it comes out, and there's a few eggs in there, and the people like are like, oh, this is gonna be a good treat. We survived the meal with no problems. And then they're going to mm-hmm. bite down, and then they're going to have their teeth stuck together. They're going to have their lips <laughs> stuck together. Oh, it's great. I, I love it. <laughs> so I'm glad you, you, you mentioned the cake, because I definitely had one for the cake. Like we said earlier, Miss Trunchbull says that the cook made it with her own sweat and blood. And the movie yeah. doesn't really, you know, like, the movie just kind of, like, just leaves it there. It doesn't really say if there is sweat and blood in the cake. It It seems like... You could think of it as it's older. implied. I it's thought in, it's implied, but at the same time, it's it's you know playing on that that phrase of where it's like she put her sweat, her tears, sweat, and blood, or blood, sweat, and tears into it. So yeah. it's definitely not explicit for the restaurant. I want to make it explicit. I want it to be <laughs> a cake made, a chocolate cake made with sweat and blood. And I want to go a step further. I want to add it to our list of eating competitions in the restaurant. And oh, they have to God. Eat the whole cake. The whole shebang. Yes. And I don't know what the prize would be, but I think I've said that for every single eating competition we've ever introduced that the prize is to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also tempted to say, because I don't remember all the eating competitions we have, but the ones I do remember, the only way you can successfully complete them will cause death. Like, I know one of them is you need to get – you have need to eat something that's on top of your head but through the top of your mouth and your brain. Oh, my the God. The chocolate cake with the sweat and blood, you could actually complete and still be alive. So I don't know what the prize would be. And I also don't know whose sweat and blood it's going to be. <laughs> okay. So I, I think I have two other quick snacks. Um, there's one point – where we see Matilda's parents eating marshmallow kebabs. Did you pick up on that? No, but now that you mention, I remember them mentioning marshmallows at one point. Yeah, they have, like, there's one scene where both Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman are holding, like, just, like, skewers. And it, there's just marshmallows on the skewers. And it looks like there's fruit snacks in between the marshmallows. So, like, you know, if you order, oh my God. If you order a real kebab, you'd have, like, a chunk of meat and then a veggie and then a chunk of meat right. and a veggie. It's like that idea but with marshmallows and fruit snacks. Oh, and I God. And I just want that. I, I honestly love that so much. I just want marshmallow kebabs with marshmallows separated by fruit snacks. I just love that idea. <laughs> can you have the customers watch them in front of a TV? There's nothing you can get from books that you can't learn faster from watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's got to yeah. be like the old school box TVs. I'm pretty sure we, we do have a bunch of TVs in the restaurant, and most of the time they're playing like old commercials, like just only commercials on loop. Nice. Like early 2000s, late 90s, weird – like those weird like, commercials. Like, like where Aaron Paul doing corn pops. 
<laughs> yes, there's just constant commercials. So we could throw some, some stuff on where it's like you have to watch the TV while you're eating your marshmallow kebabs. I dig it. <laughs> and then the last thing I had, I think it's a no-brainer, um, maybe one or multiple. We're going to have chokies in the restaurant for the bad customers. Oh, God. <laughs> I just want to throw some customers into the chokies. <laughs> and I think what Matilda, what they said in the movie, holds up well. You know, what? no one's going to believe that anybody got thrown in a chokey because we've already have so much nonsense crazy stuff that people don't believe in the restaurant you know everybody who complains is the boy who cried wolf so another chokey or thing like the chokey isn't gonna hurt us so done it's easy it's peasy i would say that we could probably repurpose some rooms we haven't cleaned in a while as chokies with very little work with nails sticking out and pipes leaking i think it's already yeah, done you just for gotta us. bust some pipes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah chokies <laughs> Chokies. I just love that it's called a chokey. <laughs> oh my god, I know it's so good. Did you have any other any other things for the restaurant? I didn't. I just had okay. the chocolates. Okay, you come in every week. You come in every time. You come in with one, and it's a strong one. I dig it. <laughs> yep, quality over quantity. So, with all of that out of the way, I want to say, Justin. <laughs> Thank you for being here, even though I don't think I could have kept you away from Matilda, uh, for sure. It was a grand time, as always. Oh, it's been a blast. <laughs> if so, you tried keeping me away, I would have uh, hijacked your computer. I would have hacked your shit, and I would have just done it solo. So uh, I guess I will put your chess.com username in the uh, show notes once again, if anybody wants to find you. Uh, but oh, I wonder else? if anyone's tried finding me. I haven't logged on in weeks. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you want to pitch, though? Anything else you have that you want to throw out there? Um, no, is, sir. Can you give anybody your Brawl Stars name? Is that a thing? I don't think I'd know how to give them my Brawl Stars okay. name. I'm kind of I'm kind of happy about that. I don't think I want anybody else in the world to play Brawl Stars. I think I could if I tried really hard. It's not you, Justin. It's the Brawl Stars. <laughs> but yeah, if they want it, they know who to email. Okay. Yeah. I also haven't received any friend requests, although I do have one follower on Chess.com. Right on. Who's my fo- I can't see my follower. I love how it says followers, but there's one. I can only pray it's a it's a viewer. Yeah, fingers crossed. Play him and play him in chess. We, we I know I mentioned it on I think Mahalan Drive. This movie also did not have any chess in it. Oh, you're so, right. Um, yeah, we'll need to. Well, I think we're slowly every time Justin and I like talk, we slowly build up like a chess themed series. Because we have Revolver and then what, that Bad Company movie bad company. You were about. So we got two. We need two more chess movies to finish out the month. Which you saw the trailer of and you yes. got really excited. You were like, wow, best movie trailer I've ever seen <laughs> by far. I think I was more intrigued and excited by the fact that it was a Joel Schumacher movie, which I did not know. And he who also recently died. So, uh, yeah, we got, we got Revolver and Bad Company. We got to finish out the chess series uh, for Justin. Yes. And then... Uh, I don't know. We got to find like maybe we'll start like the Cinemodities Twitch channel where during the chess series we'll live stream us playing chess. <laughs> yeah, and anyone who knows chess will be like, "God, they're so bad." <laughs> now that would be fun to live stream <laughs> us playing chess and get like you know get like me, uh, you get Ben involved, Lashawn for a game, Heather involved. Everybody's just, like commenting on us. Why do you suck so bad? Why did you think yes. this was a good idea? <laughs> If we get some, you know, high elo chess players in the chat, dude, it'd be perfect. <laughs> they will be like, literally, stop playing. Be like, actually, stick to the restaurant. 
unless they're the supportive types and they'll be like, hey, you're actually better than someone who doesn't know chess. Great work. Keep it up. (laughs) Okay. Well, then the last bit, which I think we gave away earlier, uh, how we're going to end this. Of course, we're going to do some Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root in reverse. Yeah, That's going to sound pretty cool. On my way. Uh, And next week, we are finishing up the Danny DeVito Direct series. It came around way too fast. Uh, We are going to be discussing Death to Smoochie. It is going to be an extravaganza of an episode because I I hope nobody cancels on me. We are going to have three guest stars from other podcasts, and it's going to be very, very entertaining. Not to say you're not entertaining, Justin, but you don't have your own podcast, so... You don't fall into the category that these goobers do. Oh, I see how it is, bro. I see how it is. <laughs> so, yes, it's going to be a podcasting extravaganza. Uh, expect so many plugs. You're going to hear about so much new stuff other than chess.com usernames. And it's going to be a doozy. And I'm also excited because I still have not seen Death to Smoochie ever. And apparently it gets a lot of love because these three people really wanted to talk about it from two different podcasts. And it's going to be a doozy. I'm very excited. It's going to be a doozy. So with that being said, let's get some rusted root. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody, I guess, well, since this, mu- this music wins, I guess you can also think that we're playing some Matilda by Alt-J in reverse. Whatever works for your head cannon. <laughs> Oh, yes, I'm more. I'm bashing you. 